Hello there. You're listening to The Box Office Show. I'm Ryan Hill. And I'm Dylan Johnson. Today we're going to be talking about the box office numbers from last weekend and our box office predictions for this upcoming weekend. And today we also have a special episode where instead of cinema, we will be talking about a medium of storytelling that has grown increasingly more cinematic over the years, thanks in large part to the work that Naughty Dog has done with their video games in the Uncharted series and in the first Last of Us game, the very beloved Last of Us game that came out in 2013. So in honor of the one-year anniversary of 2020's most controversial and talked-about game, The Last of Us Part Two, we'll be giving our thoughts on this landmark video game. And to help us do that, we have Sean Tormey returning to the show. What's up, Sean? Hello again. Good to be back again. Yes, thank you for coming on again. Ooh. We love to have you here. Two weeks in a row. I know the first time I think it's happened. A back-to-back appearance. I think we've had Spencer back-to-back at least once. Probably. That sounds about right, too. In our new... In our new section, yeah. Just to start out, since this is going to be a more video game themed episode, E3 happened last week. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to throw some of the games out there that had either trailers released or got announced and see which of these you guys are most excited about. Yep. There was the Sea of Thieves, Jack Sparrow DLC, not Elden, not interested. <laughs> no, I was never interested in Sea of Thieves in general, just because it's it's uh if you ever played assassin's creed black flag it is just the sea fighting parts like yep. you could just buy assassin's creed black flag and have the sea parts and then also have other fun <laughs> stuff to do why buy sea of thieves well but it's like <laughs> multiplayer isn't it like you get to hang around with your oh uh, yeah friends, yeah that's true. true so if you want to if you want to do that if you want to go sail around with your friends that might be fun but i just i have no interest to do that i have other things to do and if I wanted to do, if I wanted to play Sea of Thieves, I would just play Assassin's Creed Black Flag and do other fun stuff. Well, but you know who's not in Assassin's Creed Black Flag? Jack Sparrow. Exactly. Who yeah. will be in Sea of Thieves coming up. Uh, we also have Elden Ring. So the studio behind Dark Souls teamed up with George R. R. Martin to get the lore figured out for this new fantasy hey, game. Hey, it looks good. That's all that matters. Sean, you're a fan? You're oh, yeah. for it. oh, I saw the trailer, bro. Oh my god, that that I, looked great. I haven't seen anything about it, but Fernando talked to me about it because he watched some E3 stuff and he told me that George R. R. Martin was involved in the story, and I was like, that sounds interesting. So I'm willing to, I I have a, a, a curiosity about it rather than an interest. Interesting, yeah. This was one of the projects that George R. R. Martin was distracting himself with instead of finishing his books. Bastard. Oh. So hopefully it was worth it in the end. <laughs> Um, we also have Forza Horizon. Yeah, I was never big into driving games, but the Forza games are beautiful. When you talk about graphics, like oh, for gorgeous. sure, yeah, yeah, sure. But I don't, I'm not a big fan of driving games unless <laughs> unless it's Mario Kart. Agreed, agreed. 
I also love Mario Kart. Dylan, we have to play that balloon game again on that old yeah, Mario Kart. Yeah, game, game going. God, you're obsessed with that. I am. I love it. It's so good. Uh, we also have Battlefield 2042. Mm. Great year. <laughs> Y'all excited about this? Yes. Sean, you were clapping. It looks, so yeah. it looks great. That was probably the one thing that really made me excited for this year's games. There wasn't a lot this year. But yeah. that, that was fun. I'm not big into like uh, the Battlefield games or the Call of Duty games. Anything that's like anything that's has the single player that's just a shooting first person shooting storyline or the multiplayer that is just uh, arena style shooting. That's not my cup of tea. I'm more I prefer more uh, cinematic storytelling, like Naughty Dog games or like the Batman games, things like that. Gotcha, gotcha. Zelda Breath of the Wild two. Was also featured there. How do you guys feel about that? I am excited about that. I'm very yeah, excited about that. Yeah, I am too. But they didn't really give much, you know. Finally yeah, I didn't, I didn't see anything about it because I didn't watch E3. But just the idea, the concept of a second Breath of the Wild game drives me nuts. I love it. I love mm-hmm. the idea. Another beautiful, it's immaculate game. Cannot wait. Starfield, which is that project <laughs> that Bethesda has been teasing for pretty much over a decade now. How'd y'all feel about that? They released a little teaser trailer. Not not, not that excited. Not uh, excited? How come? The trailer didn't look very good. And also... I also told I you know. nothing. That's true. Uh, I don't know. I think I'm just kind of tired of Bethesda at this point. Skyrim is the only game of theirs that I played that I actually liked. I'm not a big fan of the Fallout series. Uh, I played one other... Elder Scrolls game. I can't remember which one. It was the one that came right before Skyrim. Oh, Oblivion. Oblivion. Yeah, Oblivion. Not a big fan of Oblivion. Even though I heard it's great. I don't know. The graphics got to me. It's just so bad. <laughs> but that's this is a product of its time. It's not their fault. I kind of uh, just laughed at the Starfield trailer. Yeah. Like, it was just a guy in a spaceship. And their whole tagline is, it's like Skyrim, but it's space. And I'm like, whoa. Yeah, and also cares. the graphics were not incredible. As, as good as I was hoping they would be. I don't know. Because they showed that very short teaser trailer of the next Elder Scrolls game where it was just a landscape and it looked incredible. And then they show us this and I'm like, oh, it doesn't match up quite. Not not a big fan. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm willing to learn more about it, I guess, before I make an ultimate decision. Bethesda, I, the only thing that I liked of theirs was Skyrim. But Skyrim is also one of my favorite games. So they've, they've hit that peak for me before so they could do it again. Gotcha. And finally, we have Avatar frontiers of pandora they released a whole trailer for this did you guys catch that hear about it at all i have no idea what that is yeah uh i heard about it but i know this isn't the right section ryan but i'm gonna give it an a um <laughs> he's bringing <laughs> back I, I, a just, a. I just don't care i just don't care about it like cool an avatar game that's what 10 years overdue i guess well because it's in preparation for the it's coming out 2022 so it'll be arriving right when avatar 2 comes out uh, so it makes sense that way. Yeah, I guess it's just the fact that we have no info on it besides the trailer. So either they're going to go off and do their original idea for it, or they're going to maybe connect it to the movie storyline. I don't know. That's why I'm like iffy about it. They might, I don't know. It just it does seem interesting, though. Like in open world, I'm not entirely sure if it is open world, but mm-hmm. I'd imagine that's the route they're going with it in open world. Uh, be smart for game them. set in Pandora. I mean, that mm-hmm. just seems like it would be fun to go through. 
Ryan, are you excited for any of these games? As you know, I am not as avid of a video game player <laughs> as I certainly used to be. Uh, but I don't know. I mean, Starfield, I've just always been, it's always piqued my interest because it's been in development for so long. Yeah. And it's supposed to be one of the most ambitious projects ever. So I'm just excited to see how that would turn out. I mean, they um, said something similar about Cyberpunk, and we all saw that. Well, yeah, exactly. You took that's it why it's scary. <laughs> yeah, I beat him to it. I was going to say it. <laughs> yeah, that's why it's a bit scary. That it, Cyberpunk uh, has certainly uh, taught me how to temper my expectations for games. Very, literally. very, learned a very strong lesson there. I've been developing since like 2013, 2012, bro. Probably yeah. earlier. I mean, that was just the hype train got way out of control. And they shouldn't have, I don't know why they decided to go for it in 2020. No, if we've been so waiting buggy. this long, just take your time even more. Yeah. I mean, I think way just, too buggy. The community was just so, the community for like that Cyberpunk game was just so annoying. Like they just wanted the game because they waited so long for it. And then they got it and they're like, this is stupid. I'm like, well, you wanted it now. Yeah. So, like, it's their fault, but it's also CD Project Red's fault. Yeah. True. True. Blows. Anyway, we have our box office breakdown for the week of June 18th to the 20th. In first place, as we thought it would be, is The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard. It made $16 million in its full five-day run because it released on a Wednesday, which is odd, but it happens. It's mm-hmm. not not all that surprising. We we thought the Hitman's Wife bodyguard would land take first place, and it did. Right, and in second place was A Quiet Place Part Two. It had nine million, which Jesus. means it had a great hold of only dropping twenty four percent. That's incredible. That's really amazing, and it now has one hundred twenty five million domestically, and I believe two hundred and twenty million worldwide. Something like that so really good which is good for such a, a relatively low budget movie compared to other movies that usually make this much or much higher budgets which is very impressive for john krasinski after quiet place 2 we have peter rabbit to the runaway made six million we have the conjuring 3 hanging on in the top five with five million cruella has 4.8 million that is a 24 percent drop from last week which is a great hold for them and sadly fallen out of the top five in the Heights with 4.2 million had a 63% drop, which again, as we know in the pandemic era, certainly the second week has a big drop, and then the third week t- typically has better holds. But within the Heights being on HBO Max and the buzz, despite being positive, isn't very pronounced for this film. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it's gonna do well. It's, it seems like it's gonna be a flop, which is so tragic. Yeah, horrible. Ryan, is there a special reason in our script you put 4.20 million instead of just 4.2? I think you know why, Dylan. (laughs) (laughs) I had to call attention to that. Spirit Untamed goes after In the Heights with 1.5 million. And in 13th place, Godzilla vs. Kong only made $240,000. But that pushed it across the $100 million mark domestically. It has done it. It didn't do it first. The Quiet Place beat it there. But I remember weeks ago, Dylan, we were talking about, was it going to be able to make it? Mm -hmm. And it finally was able to inch across the finish line. It has grossed $100 domestically. All right. Good for Godzilla vs. Kong. I'm impressed that A Quiet Place Part 2 was able to surpass it, seeing how Godzilla vs. Kong had such a head start on it. 
even though Godzilla vs. Kong's overall box office gross is greater, A Quiet Place Part 2, I guess, has a stronger, I don't know, appeal in the States, I guess, as opposed to overseas. Right. And also, it came out a little later, so pandemic times were still stronger with Godzilla vs. Kong coming out, and of course it had HBO Max. So that's probably the reasons why Quiet Place was able to get to that mark quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and will obviously end up grossing more domestically than Godzilla vs. Kong. Mm-hmm. But it is exciting to see that we now have two movies in the pandemic era that have crossed the century mark. So hopefully we will see more and more reach that milestone. And the film that is opening this weekend, F9, just may be the next film to do that. It has currently grossed $292 million worldwide. $200 million of that is from China. And... In terms of the estimates, people are saying it's going to get from anywhere around 50 million to 70 million. Dylan, this is your selection, mm-hmm. your first pick in our, I mean, not your first pick, but it's the first pick in our box office draft that is being released. Mm-hmm. So what are you thinking that this will get for its box, for its uh, domestic opening? Well, I'm praying 70, you know, I'm really hoping, but knowing how other movies have performed and knowing what F9 is, I'm going to temper my expectations around no more than 60 million. I think it will not exceed that, which is upsetting. I think it'll probably get around 50 to 53 million, which is a big bummer, but there's still more weeks to come. Even though it will drop, it will still accumulate more and more money as time goes on and more markets open overseas. And hopefully I can get my overall global total to at least 600 million at least 600 million would be good for me i think the benchmark's been sliding down and down Mm -hmm. it was 700 million yeah Yeah. (laughs) now it's sliding down to at least 600 like please get to that point right i because we've had sort of front-loaded uh openings recently Mm -hmm. i We'll probably go for the higher end. I'll say maybe 63 million. Um, and then I think it'll take quite a tumble in the second week for the yeah. pattern that we've seen in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Sean, what do you think that this will get? Do you think it'll do really well or do you think it'll come I, under expectations? I surprisingly think that this movie's going to do well in America. I'm going to aim like 65, maybe, just because based off the past movies and seeing how well Quiet Place has done, this is a bigger franchise. You know there's gonna be more coming. John Cena's in it. Like he's very liked here. I'm 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 thinking it's gonna do pretty good. Gotcha. Alright, well we will see next week what the opening for F nine truly is. And then Please we will talk well. about <laughs> we will talk about how that will affect our box office draft roster and hopefully for Dylan's sake, it won't do too bad. I think it'll do well in the opening. We'll just have to see if so. it will have legs. That'll, I think, be crucial. Um, but yeah, we will update you next week. And now we are going to begin our discussion of The Last of Us Part 2.
I myself have not personally played it. I watched a whole walkthrough of it and I'm well versed in the story, but I don't have the intense experience with these characters and with the story that Dylan and Sean have had. So I'm slightly more detached and maybe that gives me a slightly more objective lens uh, with which I can look at the, the story. But Dylan mm -hmm. has played it, he's well versed in it, and he loves the film. I love or, well, the yeah. game. It's pretty much a film. <laughs> it is. It is, again, yeah. a cinematic experience. Mm -hmm. And Sean, you have also played through it. Yeah. And you do not like the game. Okay, don't twist my words here. The game is I just said you don't like it. I, just, <laughs> I mean, overall, the story. It's the story. There we go. <laughs> all right, all right. We'll get into all of it. So the way I wanted to frame this discussion is when we're talking about movies and we're reviewing movies, we talk about two different elements. We talk about the technicals and we talk about the story and how the technicals affect the story and how the story affect the technicals. When we talk about technicals, we're talking about things like editing, cinematography, uh, production design and that can have an effect on the story when we're talking about the story we're talking about the direction that the director takes the writing of it the dialogue and how that could affect the technicals and when we're talking about games there's an additional element to those two and that's the gameplay how the user experiences the story as they're playing it so i wanted to break it down into those three sections because at the very least with the last of us part two everybody will like at least two of those three i guarantee so first, we're going to give you some information about The Last of Us. It is produced by Naughty Dog, who is also known for the Uncharted series and the Crash Bandicoot series. And if you haven't played either of those, go play them. They are phenomenal, as well as The Last of Us series. Neil Druckmann is the director and writer. He came up through Naughty Dog, and he's a fantastic writer. He's a fantastic game director. Incredible. And Haley Gross was also involved in that. Ashley Johnson plays Ellie. Troy Baker plays Joel. You might know Troy Baker as myriad of things he plays sam drake in uncharted 4 he plays the joker sometimes he's has played all kinds of fabulous roles laura bailey plays abby laura bailey is also from uncharted 4 she plays nadine ross shannon woodward as dina you might know shannon woodward from westworld and ian alexander is a newcomer who plays love now to start this discussion before we get into the three different topics uh Let's talk about like bef like our experience before even playing The Last of Us Part Two, the ending of The Last of Us Part One. Everybody knows, or everybody that's listening to this probably knows, that when The Last of Us ends, it ends on kind of a cliffhanger. We don't know the relationship between Joel and Ellie and how that's going to go. We know there has to be some kind of a sequel because of the way they ended, it just cuts to black kind of abruptly. I struggled for a long time with surviving. No matter what, you keep finding something to fight for. Now, I know that's not what you want to hear right now. Swear to me. Swear to me that everything that you said about the Fireflies is true. I swear.
What did you think of that ending, Sean? <sighs> that, that ending, oh my god. I remember back in 2013 when I first played this game on my PS3. Oh my god. That game, that ending was, I didn't know what was going on. I was just like, uh, do I do I have to do this? And of mm-hmm. course I had to. I, I'm did so you, torn with it. Did you want to save Ellie? Well, yeah, I love Ellie. I really do. I, as Joe, I love Ellie. But in the context of the game, she is the only known immune person. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's it's literally like save save a family member you love with your whole heart or save the world. And as Joel, I can see why he wanted to. You you definitely know there's, like, that daughter connection in there. You have to, like, mm-hmm. everyone sees it. And if you yeah, like Joel, then you have to, then you, then you feel for him. But also, mm-hmm. like, bro, you, you stole the cure and killed everyone in the hospital just because you wanted your daughter back. And that's mm-hmm. not actually your daughter. It's, I'm really torn. I'm really they- torn by it. They set it up really well in the beginning with that opening sequence where he's with his daughter at the out out the outbreak and he's trying to save her, like trying really hard, and then eventually she gets killed by another person, and that sort of emotional connection is severed, and he's alone for the for the like the next part of the beginning. He's a smuggler now; he's sort of uh, distant from everybody, and then he meets Ellie, and then you have this whole transformation throughout the rest of the game. As he learns to love Ellie and finds refines that sort of daughter familial connection with her, and then that all climaxes in his decision of to save her or not. And he that's what's so great about the Naughty Dog games that they don't let you choose. You know, mm-hmm. there is a story they've written the story. You're just playing it. You know, it is that's how cinematic it is. Is you have no choice. You are just playing. It's like if you're watching Mission Impossible and you have a little joystick controlling Tom Cruise. That's all it is. You know, <laughs> you you. You make you don't make the decisions. You just play the game, and so you have to do this as Joel, even if you don't want to, even if you think it would be better for Ellie to die. And even though you know you watched Ellie grow this whole time, and you know you know in your mind that if Ellie was given the choice, she would let herself die to create a cure. She would do it, and you know that, and Joel knows that, and that's why he's rushing to get her out of there before she wakes up. Right. So, Dylan, how about you? When that ending came up. When it was Ellie speaking with Joel outside of Jackson, and she mm-hmm. point blank asked him what really happened back there, and he lies to her face. Ugh. How are you feeling in that moment when she looks at him, looks down a bit, sort of understands that he's probably not telling the whole truth, mm-hmm. but then she says, okay. How did you feel at the very ending of that of that whole story? It's all about the the punctuation of that black screen of the there is more to the story but you don't have it yet it tells us that there's going to be a sequel and that this particular conversation this particular situation is going to be the main driving factor of that sequel the fact that he lied to her and that the fact that he did this to save her is what is going to be the continuation of the story it no longer has nothing to do with her bite it no longer has nothing to do with her immunity it never even really did that was more like a, a MacGuffin if you had, if you mm-hmm. you know so it's it's going to be all about their emotional relationship and their connection with each other and how that changes throughout time as the next story progresses, which is what it is. And I think that is a fantastic setup and a fantastic follow through with that. So it, it's safe to say that you were excited and expected a part two to come out. Yes, 100%. Okay. 
And for you, Sean, did you think that a part two was coming? Did you think it was needed? And when it was announced, what were your initial reactions? Well, when I finished playing Last of Us, I fully agree with Dylan. They very much set up, or at least they left it up into interpretation if you want, if they believed there was going to be a sequel, because like they could have ended it there, honestly. Mm -hmm. But obviously, they wouldn't. It It's a phenomenal game, one game of the year. It, everyone loved it. Mm -hmm. And they really, they really, really make you like someone who's not a good person. Joel is not a good person if you look mm -hmm. back at the events that happened in Last of Us 1. Oh, he yeah. does a lot of bad things. But when I heard Last of Us 2 was coming out, Oh, I was jumping up and down. I was so excited. Especially that small little teaser when they had it, like, uh, 2018. It was just Joel playing guitar and Ellie walked in. And then it said Last of Us 2. I was like, oh, yes. Mm -hmm. No way. They just remastered the original one. I was so excited. And then I got, and then it was like, er, it was like either late 2019 or early 2020. It got leaked. Yes. And you got spoiled, didn't you? Yes. I did not. I avoided that. And I, it was it was driving me nuts because I could see people all over the internet being like, "Well, I guess The Last of Us just lost Game of the Year to Cyberpunk. God, what a what a bad story." <laughs> Funny how that turned out. Right. That was the that was the big thing I heard is everyone was like, "They're gonna lose Game of the Year to Cyberpunk." It's funny how that turned out, but everybody was bashing on it, and I was like, "Oh, it can't be bad. It can't be bad." And I even went into the game kind of with the expectation of it being a little bad because even on imdb when it was first released it got review bombed so it was like 5.3 out of 10 so that was like scaring me i was like god what if they trashed it what if they did bad but i i had a little bit of hope because naughty dog has never let me down not once have they ever let me down except a little bit on uncharted 3 but that's the whole thing but never <laughs> once have they let me down never once have they really let me down so i got the last of us and i just played it i didn't read any reviews I didn't read any spoilers because I, I wanted to just experience it firsthand myself. I knew that Joel was going to die. So I don't know how I found that out. I think I might have accidentally spoiled that for myself, or maybe I just guessed it right. But I just I knew Joel was going to die, especially once Abby's there. You know why Abby's there. You know who she's looking for. And you have a really good feeling how that's going to turn out. Like it's, it's already sort of a bad feeling when you see them there and they're looking over Jackson and finding Joel. And you can kind of tell that this isn't going to go the way we want it to go. This is going to go Abby's way. She's going to find a way and Joel's going to die. And I was mentally prepared for that. And it is an intense scene and we'll get to there. But I'm just so glad I avoided the spoilers because it was such a better experience not knowing what was going to happen. And then now playing it, it is such a better, like replaying it is such a better experience knowing what's going to happen, but only because of my experience playing it already and not because of someone else's interpretation of the story right. telling it to me. It didn't get tainted by, because I mean, some of the leaks, they had actual footage that was being released, but then also mm -hmm. other leaks were just the story beats and some yeah. of them weren't accurate. Um, and so mm -hmm. it was a difficult situation where Naughty Dog couldn't come out and deny certain leaks and confirm others because obviously that would ruin it. And that's just such a, a bad situation they yeah. spent years on this game and then to have it months it was two months before it came out is when it leaked and all this backlash was coming out and people haven't experienced the game yet mm -hmm. um which is why sean your point to joel being a bad like person but we end up caring for him and loving him in the first game and also the fact that the last of us part one story is really kind of basic i mean we all know what's going to happen joel mm -hmm. this hardened older smuggler is mm -hmm. closed off to the world and then through ellie is going to be opened back up 
Yeah. We know that's what's happening, but yeah. the key part is that, yes, it works because we spend all that time with those characters. Mm. We get to know them. It's through the experience that it becomes a profound yeah. We spend story. 13 hours. They have that, games have that advantage that movies don't, is you can take an individual, an audience member, and you can make them sit there for 13 hours and experience this game. Mm-hmm. Nobody will sit through a 13-hour movie. And no. if they did, it would be an like an, an insane experience. Like the amount of storytelling you can do in thirteen hours is ridiculous, and nobody will sit there for a movie. But people will do it for a game. They've done it time and time again with the Uncharted games, with the Last of Us games, with the Batman games. They will sit down and they will play a linear story for thirteen to fifteen hours, and then Last of Us Part Two is twenty four hours. They like they tried to go above and beyond and try and show what they can do at their full power as a storytelling force, but it is a lot. It is a lot to handle. We'll get there, but it is incredible what they can do in 13 hours to get you to fall in love with these characters. Cause if this was a two hour movie and that's why I'm so glad they're doing it as a series rather than a movie is because you can't get that sort of emotional effect in two hours. Like it's very, mm-hmm. very difficult. And I don't know if they can nail it on the head but with a mini series. That's another thing that people people won't sit through a, a six hour movie, but they'll sit through six one hour episodes and binge it in a day for some unknown reason. Because I guess stories end within an hour, like the smaller stories end within an hour, and the overarching narrative will reach for six hours, which is crazy to me. But it is very interesting. People will binge that amount of material, and so people will sit through a thirteen episode one hour each last of a show where it's just you know a translation of the game, and they will enjoy it as opposed to a two-hour movie where it would be botched probably but uh really quick uh i want to say two things about that well mm-hmm. the first thing was actually about my leaks i actually luckily didn't see any videos good i was i just saw like a text mm-hmm. they were all true which did suck damn but at least i didn't see like how it went down so i did get a decently good experience when i decided to play it because it was new like it did say how Abby killed Joel, but I didn't watch it. So mm-hmm. it did hit, still hit a bit hard. Yeah. But there's just that. Like, I was just glad I, it wasn't like videos. Cause after I read the text, I'm like, well, I'm done. I just felt so defeated. Mm-hmm. But going back to what you just said about the TV series, Dylan, I genuine question. It's not confirmed, it's just a rumor, but they're eyeing for Joel. Uh, they're talking to Pedro Pascal. Do you like that or do you not? I do like Pedro Pascal. I think he I think he fits well into the role of the father figure. We've seen that time and time again for him. And he's a good actor and I think he could do the role justice. I like it because they're not I don't think he's going to give a performance that is just Troy Baker impersonation. I think he's going to try and give it his own rather than than just do a replication, which I like. It's just like it's a different interpretation of the character, which is something that's exciting for me. It's seeing what another actor can do given the same history for a character and given the same uh, dialogue and, and stuff and how they can translate that into its own character. Because Troy Baker's character as Joel is phenomenal. It's one of the best video game performances. And I mean, he just, he kills it and you can't replicate that in film. Like you, nobody mm-hmm. can do that. Not even Troy Baker could do that in film. So it's, it's all about what Pedro Pascal decides to do different that's what's important to me. And if he tries to do, I don't think he will, but if he tries to just do an impersonation, it will, it will flop. It will be bad. So that's why I think he will do his own thing with it. Cause he's a good actor. He, he knows better than to just try and 
do a copy. He he wants to have the challenge of taking a well-known character and giving his own spin to it. And I think that's what he'll do. And this is where the differences line. That's what matters. Ryan, True. your opinion on it? Very well spoken there. I agree 100%. I am also a Pedro Pascal fan. I think he will do great work. I think he knows not to try to imitate the Joel that we've already seen in the video games. Like Dylan said, he'll put his own spin on it. So I'm excited for that. I'm more hesitant about the actress who's going to be playing Ellie, just because, I don't know, Ellie is so well-realized, like her voice that Ashley Johnson gives and the personality that she imbues into Ellie is so distinct. And I just don't know. I mean, certainly they're going to try to do the same thing of put their own spin on it, but I don't know if that will come across as successfully as mm. the uh, the spin that they're going to put on Joel's character through Pedro Pascal. Yeah, Ellie so, will be a harder sell. For sure. Yeah, I think so. Um, so I'm a little slightly worried about that, but overall, I am interested in the project. I'm hoping that it will do well. Um, but yeah, we will see as that comes about. As for the game. Dylan, do you want to walk us through the technical marvel that is Last of Us Part 2? We're going to start with the technicals and the gameplay because these are the two elements that I think everybody can agree is very, very, very well done. And I would love to start this conversation off just saying positive things about this game because that'll just make me feel better before we get into the story. So first things first with the technicals, the first thing anybody knows is when they play this game is that the graphics are incredible. They are absolutely amazing. One of the best game graphics I've ever seen up there with like the Forza games and the Red Dead Redemption 2. They are absolutely phenomenal. But when it comes to the graphics, the devil is in the details. And I was looking, I was trying to find really neat examples of the graphics really hidden in there. And I found a couple. Ellie and Abby, when you grab an item, like let's say you find a water bottle or a rag or something, she will turn around instead of the item just kind of disappearing behind her back. It will kind of open up a flap and have her put it in. That is just detail. It's just putting a lot more attention into how the graphics work, how the characters work and interact with each other. And that's really important. Your pack, much like in Red Dead Redemption 2, it actually has your items sitting on the outside. Like when you change items, it changes the items on your backpack. So it, And it shows you taking the gun off your shoulder. Red Dead Redemption did the same thing. And I just love that. It just makes it feel so much more realistic and so much more grounded, which I think is incredible. And then the one that I thought was exceptionally well done, because it just blew my mind that they went in and bothered to do this, is there was, in day three as Ellie, I was walking around with Jesse, and it's pouring rain, and I stood under a roof where there was water running off, and I stood under the water on accident. And Ellie reacted. like She kind of like covered her head and moved it around because there was water dripping down her neck. And I was like, what? This is exceptional. Like, who put the detail and who thought, like, if Ellie's under a, a specific trail of water that she would, like, try and move her head around to avoid getting wet? Like, that's such, like, attention, like, detail attention level work into the graphics. And it's such, mm-hmm. such, it just it builds the world. It, it makes it feel real, which is what's so important in these games is they're trying to ground them into reality, which is fantastically done. Right. To add to that a bit, because, yeah, Naughty Dog is renowned for its attention to detail in these games and one a couple examples that i had come across Mm -hmm. was when you kill a zombie or i guess a person as well but in it's in the snow Mm -hmm. the blood as it's spreading out will melt the snow and you can see that really 
yes. I didn't even notice you should that. go look up a video oh, of that because it's that's cool. incredible. That stuff uh, was amazing. And then even in the aspects of the gameplay as well, they'll have that attention to detail. Like if you are shooting your gun, and then you run out and you hear the click, um, the enemies will respond to that. If they're the human enemies, they'll come after you. And I also think in the harder difficulties, like the grounded mode, things like that, mm-hmm, if you nice. open up your inventory and switch your gun or something, like that makes noise, obviously. And mm-hmm. so the clickers will respond to that. Yeah. They'll well, like come after you if they hear you switching guns. I just another level of immersion, like being scared to even switch your guns because you know it'll attract attention. When That's I crazy. started when I started playing it this time, I wanted to try the hardest level, which is grounded. And I tried it and it gets rid of everything in the HUD. So you don't know what your health is, you don't know what how many bullets you have left. You don't know anything about your gun. And it also takes away your like your hearing ability, so you cannot hear where the zombies are, so or the enemies are. So you are just in the blind. It's completely grounded. There's nothing unrealistic about it, and I couldn't do it. I had to I had to stop and I had to switch to hard difficulty because I could not do it. It was too much. It was ridiculous. How far did you get? <laughs> For with, with grounded, yeah, I'm just curious. I was still in Jackson. Like I could not get <laughs> <out of> Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't do it. Like I got probably two hours into it and had to stop. It was too, like, because it was not only, like, I probably could do it, but I just don't have the time. I didn't have the time to finish it before the show, doing it grounded style. And I was like, I just Mm got to speed run it so I can get the story elements in and then take as many notes as possible. And doing it grounded, I would probably still be on, like, Ellie Day 2 at this point if I was doing grounded. Maybe. Maybe I'd get to that point. Another couple of technical things that I thought were interesting. You know the the zombie, the explosives, like, you step into it and then they explode? The Mm -hmm. wire traps? There was a moment where I, I lured some zombies into one. It exploded. It blew off its bottom half. And then it started crawling towards me and grabbed Ellie, even though it had just exploded and started attacking me. And I was like, whoa. I didn't expect this to happen. I had to fight it off because it had crawled <laughs> to me and grabbed me. It was just unexpected to me. And I was blown away at like that level of attention to detail of the zombies themselves. Incredibly done. I love that. What else do I have? Incredible sounds, especially when you're killing or being killed. There was when you're fighting the bloater on Ellie day three mm-hmm. in the in the game thing. The it's yeah. like a yeah. When the bloater kills you, it either steps on Ellie's head, which there's a big squish and there's like a big shoot of blood and it's gross, or even worse, it shakes Ellie a couple times and then grabs Ellie's head and just breaks it. And you can hear the break. And ooh. Ooh, it's a bad sound. It's really well done, though. Ooh. I'm going to be honest. Um, I don't know if you did, Dylan, um, but this recent playthrough, since we both already played through it before, mm-hmm. and we know what happens, after this playthrough, I purposefully died just to see and hear exactly what would happen. Mm-hmm. And those are some gruesome ways to die. Yeah. The way they do it is, even though you're dying, it's still pretty incredible how yeah. they do it that well. There was a couple times where I'm fighting one of the Seraphites, and it's the big one with the hammer as Abby, <laughs> and you're trying to fist fight her, and she throws Abby on the ground and just hammers her face a good six times before Abby is, like, dead gone. Like, it's brutal. It's crazy how, like, intensely hard they go. But it all ties into that theme of hatred and, like, the the feeling you get, the, the rage feeling of, of attacking people, and that comes with hatred. So I guess it ties into that thematically. The last thing I wanted to mention technically is something that is not related to 
the programmers, the developers. It has to do with the music. The music was made by Gustavo Santaolala, Matt Quayle, and Juan Luque. I think Santaolala was just his, because he did the first game, and I think they just took his themes. I don't know if he actually worked on this game, but they took his themes and they reused a lot of them. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to put a, a, additional emphasis on him because the music in the first game is phenomenal. He does all the guitar uh, themes and stuff, and he also did the music for Brokeback Mountain, which is one of my favorite, like, compositions of all time like I love it it's just so beautiful he won an Oscar for it it's such it's guitar still too like most of it is guitar and it's just so gorgeous and to find out that like I remember playing this game and then the beginning they do the theme and I was like that sounds familiar and I looked at the composer and guess what it's him it's the (laughs) same guys broke back mountain it's crazy to me but the music is exceptional in this game the guitar themes are incredible if I ever were to lose you oof that hits hard but great great job on the music great job on the technicals now the second aspect is the gameplay how we the audience experience the game as we're playing it here are some of the things that i liked the stealth the stealth in the last of us games have always been funny because there's stealth elements in uncharted but it's not really thought out. it is just sneaking and killing there's nothing and if they see you then you just shoot like it's no risk there's no risk at all because shooting is very easy in that game. Shooting in in or in the Last of Us is difficult. You have a very limited number of bullets, and it's a lot. It's a lot, lot harder to aim. It is so hard to aim in this game compared to Uncharted. There's no auto aim. You're you're a lot shakier. It's very much more realistic, and it's very very difficult to aim at these people, especially with the clickers because you got to hit them in the head. It's ridiculous to me. In in this run through, because I could not hit the clickers in the head so many times and I kept dying, I put the melee weapon on infinite mode and i just used the melee weapon every time and never lost it because i couldn't do it i had to get through it so that we could talk about it and i just kept dying but <laughs> the stealth is incredible the crafting is incredible there are small very small but distinct differences between playing as ellie and playing as abby ellie has the dagger which means she can stealth kill clickers anytime she wants to and her other stealth kills are a lot quicker than abby's Abby has to create craft shivs uh, and then they also have different weapons and then different upgrades. So I think even though, you know, it's a longer game when you're playing as Ellie and you're playing as Abby, they kind of feel like two different games mashed into one just because it's two. It's like the same. It's the same sort of basics, but different applications with the two different characters, which is interesting that they did that because they are two distinct characters. They're two distinct people. They have two distinct backgrounds. Abby is just jacked. She can just punch zombies as hard as she wants to because of how ripped she is. And Ellie is definitely more stealth-based. Abby has better weaponry. And Ellie is, again, more stealth-based. So I like what they did with distincting the two different characters. The upgrade ability has also improved since the first game with the pills that you take to upgrade your character's uh, skills and the upgrades of your weapons. Those are all very, very interesting and then the craftability is also has always been a good selling point because it's, it's a fun thing to add into such a survival-based game. And the replayability, like I didn't even realize this, but there's so much replayability to this game in terms of getting past difficulty challenges because you have the grounded that we talked about earlier. And then once you start playing grounded, you can also select permadeath options. And you can do it to where if you die, you go back to the beginning of the chapter or you go back to the beginning of the act or you go back to the beginning of the game. So there's options where you had to play the grounded difficulty and get all the way through the game without dying. 
I don't know how somebody does that. It seems impossibly difficult to me. But because of its difficulty, that makes the replayability like endless because you, you want to beat that. You want to do better. You know, you want to exceed. So I think that's very, very interesting. Climbing, because in Uncharted, another Naughty Dog series, climbing is such a huge part of it. And your climbing is ridiculously... Like it's insane how good Nathan Drake is climbing. Yeah, is incredible. His core, his upper body, it's it's phenomenal. But in this game, it's so much more realistic. You can't just climb on everything. You have to have help uh, from an additional character to get over most obstacles. Uh, I like that you can go prone in this game. That's always been a lot of fun to do to get through obstacles. It's much more intricate, and more realistic. Uh, and one of my favorite gameplay experiences is day one when you're playing as Ellie. And you're exploring that open world part of Seattle. And it's just like a huge section that you're just trying to find gasoline in. But there's so many elements to like find in there. You, It takes me a full hour just to get through just because I'm trying to find everything and have fun. That is incredible. Because it gives you that sort of feeling of it being an open world game while still pushing you through a narrative. Which is mm-hmm. excellent. Very well done. And then the last thing is much like... Uh, the first game, they're searching for supplies, but it's much more intricate in this game. There's You have a point A and a point B, and there's probably two or three different routes that you could take to get to point B. And along each route is its own special sort of uh, supplies that you could find, special sort of things you could get, like the cards, the coins for Abby. It's very interesting how you can find things throughout these different routes and the different things you can take. So that's my take on the gameplay. Thoughts? Yeah, what was your experience? I mean, I fully agree. Like, I was just thinking while you were saying all this stuff, there really isn't, when it comes to gameplay, a game that plays like Last of Us. Like, sure, there's some stealth games and there's some zombie games, but the way they made this one with the crafting, with the silence, with the mm-hmm. stealth, it's its own thing. It's a it's a new thing. It's it's an original, and it's and it's just so impressive with both Last of Us one and Last of Us two. Like how they did it i've never been more like involved and Mm. cautious in a game before and i love that about games i love stealth games like i Mm. love having to be stealthy and like figuring out how to get out of a scenario especially zombies i also love zombies but um it was incredible experience and i will agree with dylan the the day one le seattle yeah it took me at least an hour bro that was fantastic part of it that's probably my favorite part in the game. It's just so much fun to just ride the horse around that little. It's just such mm-hmm. a small area, but it's so expansive and how like you can go anywhere. You can go pretty much anywhere in that area, including buildings and stuff. And you got the there's so much story behind it. You have the bank robbers who died in the middle of trying to rob the bank that you're exploring. You mm-hmm. have the synagogue that you break into and you find the federal soldiers who had overtaken the synagogue as sort of like a last offense and then had to flee from there. There's just so much storytelling happening in the papers you find and that you read. It's just that level of detail builds the world out for me, and I love oh. that. Oh, yeah, that's a before we even talk about story, the mm. all the little side stories of all the notes oh, you yeah. find, Beautiful. they put so much detail into them. I feel so bad. Mm-hmm. Like I remember one of the very first ones as when you're playing as Ellie outside of Jackson, and you're mm-hmm. with Dina, and you're like just walking around trying to find supplies, like get used to the game. You find these notes, and one's like, like a, like a kid for Christmas, like, hey, I want something to make my dad feel better and then you turn it over it's like can i also get a gun so i can protect my dad and i'm like oh my god yeah 
Poor it's dude. so well done. The, the little details in those notes is incredible. All the attention to that sort of storylines. And then every time you get into a new area, you can follow different storylines through multiple notes, which is so interesting. See how people survive through these things. It's, it's incredible. I, I love it so much. Uncharted 4 did a similar thing to a much lesser extent. There are times where, because halfway through you end up on the island and you spend the rest of the game on the island that you're supposed to be on. And there are little notes throughout that you can follow different storylines of the people who were on the island and people who were exploring the island who died there. And that's always interesting. But The Last of Us Part Two takes it to a whole new level that is just such exceptional storytelling. I sit there and I read every single note and I'm interested in every single one. And sometimes they have little codes on them and you can find safes. And though and <laughs> that is so interesting to me. Like the very first one is you go to a, a supermarket and is like a note that's like we have our safe and we put a bunch of supplies in it uh remember the code is the date my good boy got employee of the month and you go out and you find the employee of the month wall and one of them is a dog and that's in that that month and year it's like uh, 07 2013 or something you just put that into the safe and then it unlocks it's just such attention to details it's so much fun to do real just to be slightly fair to some of the people that may be on the anti lasso's part two side some thought that the gameplay wasn't that like eventually it got repetitive mm -hmm. um, but it seems like for you Dylan and you Sean both of you guys really enjoyed it all the way through so mm -hmm. that is when I played as Abby yeah <laughs> so that it's because it's because you can always upgrade yourself for me it's like you can always upgrade yourself you can always get better and then the challenges get more difficult to meet your upgrades and then it's all about adapting your upgrades to those specific types of challenges there are times where it does get repetitive it's like they just created a setting and put enemies in it and it feels like you just have to get from point a to point b but there's other times where it's like if i didn't have certain upgrades it would be a lot harder if i didn't wasn't able to build silencers it'd be a lot harder if i didn't have the crossbow it'd be harder uh, if I didn't have all these weapons, it'd be so difficult to beat that mm -hmm. big blob thing in the hospital. You know, it's it's all about shaking it up every once in a while, but not continuously shaking it up because then it's like, what's the point of me learning how to get past just a, a basic group of enemies if I'm not developing myself and then you giving me more enemies to deal with and then learning from the environment as well? Like, what's the point of me just doing it once and then you change up the entire recipe, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. They also... Uh... They also like unintentionally give you like options in a lot of scenarios like sometimes mm -hmm. you're either fighting humans or you're fighting zombies and then depending on the location you're at you can be underneath something you can be in cover and then you can choose to stealth kill or shoot or you have mm -hmm. bottles to distract enemies and stuff mm -hmm. and like every scenario it's... can be different and if you go in the gameplay thinking oh i just have to do this again then you're just a boring person like you have yeah. to just treat it like okay, I have to do this in this scenario. I got to get them away from there. I got to get this clicker over there so they don't go go near me. Like, mm -hmm. There's a lot of options. You just got to think about it. My favorite times are when you're being hunted down by people, but then you end up in a place that is full of clickers, mm -hmm. and then you can just throw a bottle, and then the clickers and the humans fight, and then you just deal with whatever's left. Like, I love that. It's so <laughs> much fun to do because you don't even have to do that. Like, There's no problem saying throw the bottle, get the clickers to kill them. You could stealth kill all the people, ignore the clickers, and just go through. And there are plenty of times where there were just so many enemies. I was like, I don't have time to deal with this. I just snuck around them all and just kept going. Like, you don't even have to kill them sometimes. You could just get through, which isn't because that's how good the stealth is. If you can find a way to get around, you can get around most of the time without even having to fight, which is incredible. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. All right. Now we will pivot into the story, the actual narrative of The Last of Us Part Two. But before we get into it, we should recognize that 
a large portion of the backlash. Maybe not most of it, but certainly a big vocal portion of it, especially when the links initially mm-hmm. came out, was not rooted in how the game actually is, but was more of just reactionary outrage at the fact that four of the central characters aren't straight white males. And so that, of course, is not legitimate criticism. We reject that in any and all ways. If people actually have issues with the fact that there's lesbians and bisexual people and transgender people and a woman who's just ripped in a game, mm-hmm. yeah, then I don't know what you're doing with yourself. You don't deserve not- to play the game at that point. Like, yeah, for there was... There was, I remember that being the first criticism I saw. It was like that first week, week and a half, there was a lot of strong outcry that there was like a trans character and that there was no straight white men characters. And then it sort of disappeared because like they got their aggression out, I guess, and got it out quick. And then that subsided to the other complaints, which is most, the majority of the complaints are story complaints about Joel's death and playing as Abby who killed Joel. Those are the biggest story complaints that I see. But there is that small majority that just happens to be louder or small minority that has to be louder than the majority most of the time that is just spewing hate, which is so ironic that they're spewing right. hate about a game <laughs> that is about learning about get, overcoming hate. It's like if you play the game, maybe you could get over it. Exactly. It's very interesting. Right. So, yeah, of course, we, again, will not be focusing on those type of criticisms because they are bogus. We will be focusing on the actual story that they're trying to tell mm-hmm. and the merits of how it does so, how The Last of Us 2 presents itself as a piece of art. Yeah. So that needed to be said outright. And yeah, we will talk about some of the fair criticisms people make about Joel's death and playing as Abby and the structure of mm-hmm. the story overall. So we will start digging into that now. So just to start off with the beginning of the game, we can go through and touch on a lot of the big milestones. Um, but just pre-Joel's death, Let's just start with that. When you were coming in initially to the game and we get Mm -hmm. acclimated to these characters in this world again, what were your thoughts, your feelings as you're going through that very initial portion? I I really enjoyed the opening scenes in Jackson. I think it builds out Ellie's world at this point. It sort of sets it up with that scene. Like You have the first scene where Joel is just recapping the strongest and most surprising event in the last of us when he kills everybody and he's telling that to tommy and then they write back and him it opening like that with just him talking about it is such a it's such a strong way to a clear message that like this is an important thing like you have to pay attention to this this is what is going to drive the rest of the game is the fact that he made this choice in the last one and that you didn't have a choice in that and now you have to watch what happens like that is such a, a hardcore element in this game is like any everything from the last game all of the other subplots and, and sub-themes, those are gone now. What is most important from the last game is that Joel did this and there's going to be repercussions. And then they have that beautiful ride. It's still Jackson in the it's probably fall time and he's riding his horse with Tommy and it's just the, it's the last time you ever play as Joel. And they're just riding through and it's sort of like your goodbye to Joel as a character to play as, which I love. They give you a chance to play as him again and it's just a nice ride through the through the forest and it just makes you happy you know it's just to say goodbye goodbye joel never gonna play as you again unless i go back and play the first game you know <laughs> and that is sad but then they have the winter jackson scenes i think they set up ellie and her relationships really well i think it's it's a little bit awkward because you're so used to it being such an intense game and then they have because it's because they're so acclimated to a normal ish life now 
that you have these scenes where it's Jesse and Ellie and they're talking about, you know, like, ooh, you kiss Dina, like awkward, like high school kind of stuff. And then she has those conversations with Dina as well. And it's just kind of strange. But it is sort of to give that feeling like Ellie's sort of leading a normal life now, a normal-ish life now as much as she can. And that's good for her. It also sets up that storyline of like her and Joel aren't on good terms. Why does she know? Does she not know what is going on? We're not sure. It sets up all those kind of questions that get answered later in the flashbacks. And then it also sets up her relationship with Dina, which is such a good relationship. They're so they're so good together. They're, they have such good banter. It's so well done. There's uh, the, the Naughty Dog games always have great casual banter, but Ellie and Dina have like a, a good bond, a good chemistry throughout the game when they're talking like or like because you can. Ashley Johnson is a very good performer. You can see her sort of being awkward around Dina in the beginning because you know she has a crush on Dina. And it's very well done. And then there are the scenes with Abby when you first get introduced to Abby and Owen and you know exactly what her... <laughs> Sean's shaking his head. You, you know exactly what her plan is when you see the chalet and they talk about, you know, is he there? Are we going to get him? You know they're talking about Joel because who else would it be? And so now you're playing as Abby on the way to the chalet to find Joel to kill him. And that it's never explicitly stated, but you can feel it. You can sort of tell that it's going to happen, that this is the goal and that's why you're playing as her. And that is a hard pill to swallow. But when you're playing as Abby and the zombies come running at you and you just punch them, it's such a cool experience. Like what a, what a, what a good, cause that's how you get introduced to the, to the runners in this game is through Abby. You're the first, she's the first time you, hold the gun you shoot a zombie she's the first time you learn how to fist fight and she just punches them it's so cool just just hits them she's big muscles i'm just blown away by by just punching this it reminds me of training busan with the guy who just punched the zombies like i just <laughs> think it's so cool uh, great movie and then and then what happens next then you go back to dina and ellie you clear out the the grocery store and then you go to the storm hits the winter storm and then you go to the library where you find the guy's stash of weed which eugene. is also eugene thank you yes it's such a good scene where they just go there and they just smoke pot and just <laughs> have sex like it's just such a casual thing it's just such a such a lax thing it's so much fun it's it's like it's teenagers being teenagers i think she's 19 at this point and they're just like chilling and having fun. And then you go back to Abby and she's having this intense experience where she's finding Joel and then she finds Joel. And then that sets up, you know, that leads right into her killing Joel or starting to kill Joel. That whole, as much as it hurts to watch, that whole sequence where they first walk in and then she blows off his leg with a shotgun is very tense. Y'all should come back with us, restock before you head out. Appreciate it. I'm Mel, by the way. Tommy, this is my brother. Joe. Y'all act like you heard of us or something. Because they have. Because everything is subtext. There's never an explicit, like, we're going to kill Joel. There's never an explicit, like, we're looking for Joel. It's very much like we have a very strong feeling about why they're there and we know that joel and tommy don't know and it's very it's like suspense at its finest and i remember the first time playing it being on the edge of my seat like how is joel gonna get out of this i feel like he's gonna die but knowing joel he could probably get out of this in some kind of crazy way and then they blow off his leg 
and is just dangling there. Like half of his leg is just attached by like a couple of ligaments or something, and they're pulling him. And ooh, it is brutal. It is absolutely brutal. For but sure. I love I love the whole Jackson opening. Yeah, Sean, how about you? Okay. Um, first off, I would like to say when you play as Abby and you have to learn to fight zombies, I chose to not learn and let her die a couple times, and then I decided to continue the game. Let's just get that. That <laughs> was at the very beginning. You she didn't even kill Joel yet, and you just had yeah, he knew he knew. Well, when I first played leaked. the game, when I first played the game, I did do that. Recently, for this, I did not. I was like, okay, I need to get to the game. Yeah, I I just need to get it out. I was just like, all right, I know it's gonna happen. Let's just get it over with. Mm-hmm. So I do like the very beginning with Joel. That was great. I love mm-hmm. Tommy and Joel's character. I love Tommy's one of my favorite characters actually. He's oh, yeah. like, in my eyes, he's not like morally good, but to me, he's morally better than in The Last of Us Two at least. He's morally better than some certain characters. Mm-hmm. Especially as we discuss them as we go along, and I, do, okay, I don't hate um, learning about Ellie and learning about Abby. I just don't like the constant back and forth because it takes me out of it a bit. Like okay. I loved playing as Ellie and getting this relationship with Dina and then scouting and making sure everything's good, and then just stops and goes to Abby. And I'm like, why am I playing as this girl right now? I don't even know who she is yet. I'm like, okay, let me go learn. Let me go learn as her now. Then it stops again. And then it goes back to Ellie. And then they find weed. And they have sex. And then right when they start having sex, they come back to Abby, who's now running from zombies. I'm like, wait, what? Can you focus on one story for one second, please? I just want to understand what's going on. Because I really love the moments that Ellie's having with Dina. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I honestly like the moment that Owen and Abby were having. Like, even though... I didn't like Abby at first. Like it's still a fun chemistry there. Yeah, I like yeah. learning about it, but they keep going back and forth between the two. And it's not like constantly like, oh, it's a minute here and then back and forth. It's just like it gets to a good point where I'm learning about them and like their relationships and where they are at this stage of like the virus and like the world. And then it just it stops. It's like, we'll come back to that. Let, let's let's let me meet the other character you're gonna play as mm-hmm. that I know Sean you won't care about. So yeah. So we do that. And that's not like even a, a big critique. It was just the first, like when I first played, it mm-hmm. was like, I don't want to play as her. When I first played, I definitely got annoyed. I was like, how often am I going to have to play it? Because I didn't know how much of the game I'd be playing as Abby. I thought maybe it would just be like the beginning I play as Abby. And then like, ooh, plot twist. Abby's the one that kills Joel. And then they just play as Ellie in a revenge story. I didn't realize it would be so much as Abby. And I eventually learned to love it. But in the beginning, it is a hard pill to swallow. I get like I get that like the first time you play it because you really, really, really want to play as Ellie. And you really, really, really want to learn more about her and what she's doing at this point. But I will say one of the best sequences in this entire game is right after Dina and Ellie have sex and it cuts back to Abby and she has to run from the zombies and you first meet Joel in, the, in like four years later. That is fantastic when you're running through and you just because there's so many different paths you can take and you're just running and you have no idea where to go and if you if you stop you die like you just have to keep going keep going keep going and she gets into the compound she crawls under the fence and the zombies are pushing on the fence mm-hmm. like it's just so intense and crazy and then joel shows up joseph and you are happy you are happy that joel is there but you are sad that joel is there with Abby. like you <laughs> that you is exactly how i felt but it's like yes joel but god please get out of the situation get out of here joel that's uh, such a such a good sequence to me. I saw that gunshot kill that zombie that was about to bite her. 
And I'm like, oh, cool, she's safe. And then I heard the voice. I said, no. <laughs> run, run, Joel. You're kidding. <laughs> and it was Joel and Tommy, and I felt – I'm like, all right, it's about to happen in like 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. Let me go grab the tissues. I didn't mm-hmm. actually grab tissues. I didn't, I, I didn't even cry. <laughs> I yeah. was just like, I don't want to watch this. There is a gut re- – the first time I played it, there was a gut-wrenching feeling when I watched Joel die. But the second time I played it, because I had a little bit better of a warning and I knew exactly what was going to happen and what it was going to look like, <laughs> I was a little more used to it. And I was like, this is okay, because, especially because I know how the game unfolds. And at this point when I'm watching it, I'm kind of thinking, I'm not sure if Joel deserved it, but he definitely had it coming for what he did in the first game. Like this was, if he, if nothing had happened to Joel, then what would have been the point of him making that decision? There would have been no mm-hmm. risk for him. Like this was story-wise the natural conclusion for his character is he made a choice to save ellie and it cost him his life in the long run and that really punctuates the difficulty of that decision he made is he had to kill all those people all those relatively innocent people and this is the price that he's paying for it in the long run and i think that is just the way that the story was meant to go what i so i don't really like when people complain that joel dies i understand the complaints of playing as abby too much I get that because the first time you play, you love Joel so much and he's killed in such a brutal way. It is hard to play as Abby, but playing it the second time, knowing Abby's story, knowing who she is, really, it is a lot easier for me to play as Abby because I sympathize with her so much more. I understand why she did it. I understand why she does the things that she does. And in the end, I feel like she pays a lot more than ellie does a lot more of her loved ones die a lot more of people closer to her die and she's left with a lot less than ellie does in the very end we can talk about that specifically Mm -hmm. down the road Um, but as for joel's death i fully agree that it was needed as you mentioned the very opening Mm -hmm. that we see of joel telling tommy it yeah it tells you that that decision that he made is going to be essential to the story and you're right, it's the consequences of the actions that he made. So I think Joel dying, like as a result of that choice that he did, it makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. Some of the biggest criticisms, though, of Joel's death is how it happens, like him getting brutalized and mm-hmm. smashed in his head, getting smashed in with a golf club, very brutal. And mm-hmm. you have to witness that. Um, so that's the first major complaint. And I, I also don't see the reasoning behind it because... What that is doing, like, obviously they know that this is going to be difficult to watch. It's mm-hmm. a character that, like, the creators, Neil Druckmann, like, they created them. So, obviously, they have an immense attachment as well. But they know that in order for us to buy into the rest of the story, which is largely about Ellie's revenge, her revenge quest, we need to feel the same as Ellie. And so, mm-hmm. us witnessing Joel get brutally beaten by this person that, at this point, we don't know. And it makes us angry. It makes us angry. It makes us mm-hmm. identify with Ellie completely. We yes. are in the same position as her. We have the same hatred, the same want of revenge. So it's necessary for him to get beaten like that. If he went out as a hero, number one, that would leave no room for the rest of the story, the revenge plot. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, it also wouldn't tie back into him suffering the consequences of the actions he did where he mass murdered all those people in the Mm -hmm. hospital in order to save the person that he loves and is living for now so that complaint 
I don't see the reason behind it. The mm-hmm. other complaint is that Joel is acting out of character, that he never would have given his name, that he never would have told them where Jackson is when they're like, oh, you guys can come well, by and get these. To be supplies. fair, Tommy is the one that gives them their yeah. names. To be completely fair. And that's kind of within Tommy's character at this point. Like, I'm not blown well, Joel away. did when he no, first Joel saw gave his Abby, name. Joel, gave Joel didn't his give his name. Yeah, but he did not. Like, he like when he walked into that room and saw all those people, he wasn't like, hey, guys, I'm Joel. Like, it was Tommy. I was <laughs> like, Tommy, Joel, how's it going, you people? Like, I feel like at this point, at being out of character, I can understand the complaint a little bit, but it has been four years since we last left off with Joel. And he has let his guard down a lot because he's become much more homely. He's gotten back to the Joel at the beginning of The Last of Us that is a normal guy who's just trying to live. Even if they are strangers, he's going to treat them nicely until they treat him bad. It is a little weird that Tommy walked into a room of a bunch of armed strangers and just gave them their names. But, I mean, at this point, it's either that or the zombie. So I understand why he went in there. It was a little strange to gave him his name. But at the end of the day... It was an intense situation. I don't think out of character is a strong complaint to make. As soon as they said the name, as soon as Tommy said the name, Joel knew something was wrong. Like Joel senses that and he knows to be on the defensive. Well, on their reactions, yeah. I think Joel saying his last name was a bit weird. Did they say his last name? I don't. Yes, he did. said Joel. Joel Miller. That's exactly what he said. I remember that scene so. very well. He, I think he Abby said, said Joel. Joel Miller. Yeah, I think she says it later. Like, I don't think he ever actually confirms his last name, and she just stares at him after she already shot his leg and says, Joel Miller. Yeah, I I just remember the last name, and, like, it was confirmed at that point. And then that's when all the heads started turning, and I was like, all right, well. (sighs) Hi, Joel. Yeah, that was, uh, like you alluded to earlier, Dylan, like that moment where you see him reading the room, everyone reacts differently when they hear Joel. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, that was a very good moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as to go back to those criticisms, which I sort of like, I somewhat see it where they're saying yeah. he's a hardened survivor in the first game. There's that famous moment where he plows through the dude who's pretending to be injured. Yeah, really, yeah. Um, and he's like, oh, well, I know why he was doing that because I've been on the other side of it where he was the one tricking people and getting him into an ambush. Mm-hmm. So they're saying he's a hardened survivor. But as you mentioned, Dylan, it's been four years. He's no longer out like actively surviving like that or smuggling. Mm-hmm. He has an established home and he's now with Ellie. He has a family. So he's less hardened at this point because his of his guard relationship is like with that. Ellie. Yeah. yeah, so it's it makes sense that he'd be slightly more willing to, mm-hmm. you know, not see the worst in people immediately. Um, and then also they just ran away from the zombies and now they're hiding in this house. Like, yes, maybe it's slightly weird that, I mean, they do all these patrols and they see a bunch of armed people in a house outside of Jackson, and maybe that should raise some suspicion. But ultimately, I think what they're trying to go for is that Joel is no longer the person he was throughout The Last of Us, the first game. He is now more caring in some way, more, yeah, more probably. So he's not going to be immediately taking people out when he first comes across them or leaving Mm -hmm. them for dead without good reason. So I think this like him initially trusting these people or just at not at least being overtly distrusting when he first sees them is a reflection of the growth he's gone through um, and the effect that Ellie has had on him, which we saw mm-hmm. throughout the first game. So I also, I can see a little bit more of this criticism, but, and so I can see how people are like, ah, that's kind of contrived, but mm-hmm. I still think that it ultimately isn't too damaging. 
yeah. um, for the story. I agree with you. I think the criticisms are a little just out there. I think people are just upset that Joel is dead and they're finding mm-hmm. ways to get out of it by saying that there are story issues with it. But I feel like the story issues they're raising are not relevant enough. Uh, either way, even if they had not said their names, they would have found the people would have found it eventually. And Joel being in that situation would have died no matter what. Them saying their names was just a way of accelerating that process and creating that one take where they can just do everything all at once that I think is well done. Not to mention that Abby already knows his name is Joel. So no matter what, mm-hmm. I mean, it was going to happen anyway. I'll admit when I first heard the Joel or like, I guess read the, the drill death, I, I did jump on that bandwagon. I'm like, damn, I hate this game. But also that was just me re- reacting. It, yeah, exactly. I know actually when I played the game, I'd be like, yeah, I want to watch this. Yeah, I'm sad. Yeah, I hate Abby, you know, but I'm going to play the game still. I mean, when it came to that scene, I, I want to give credit where credit is due to the devs. Like, that golf club, Jesus Oof, Christ. There was brain yeah. on the golf club at the end yeah. of it. Now, that that's some good golf swinging. She'd be great at top <laughs> golf. But, she should invite her. But, yeah. <laughs> but it really did. It, it When I first played, it left such a bad taste in my mouth toward the mm-hmm. game. Watching this character, I don't know. I don't want to play as I don't want to watch her anymore in this game. Swing a golf club at my main man. While I do agree he deserved it. I honestly mm-hmm. think he deserved to die. I agree with you guys. He, I think he yeah. needs to die. I don't know if the timing of the game should have been that early. I don't know. I keep going back and forth with it because, like, looking at the game, I understand why they do it that early. Mm-hmm. I wish it wasn't that early. Like, I wish I learned more about Abby so I don't just go into straight hate mode. Like, I feel yeah. like they put Abby's, which we'll talk about later. I just wanted to make a quick point. They put her stuff mm-hmm. in too late for me to really care about her. Yeah. And even when they put her stuff in, they try to put in other characters around her to make her seem like a better character. Mm-hmm. And after what I just went through in the first hour of the game, I really don't care about this character mm-hmm. when I first played the game. We're gonna yeah. we're gonna we're gonna make sure it's, I say that when yeah, I first yeah. played the game. But that scene, I think it shouldn't get any. Um, it's very well done. Yeah, I don't think it should get any criticism anymore. I think mm-hmm. it's a great scene now. Like looking at it, I still think it's a bit weirdly placed that early because you know, I just it, it's like a weird thing inside me to have it placed that early. Like I wish there was just more yeah. development, but okay, I get I... why they do it. I understand I, I understand your points completely when it comes to Abby. Like, I get it. I think what people wanted out of, of an age-old death is just a straightforward revenge story for Ellie where she goes through a traumatic experience and then pushes that to commit thing, to do things that she would normally do and just get revenge on these people. And Naughty Dog is kind of trying to do a hat trick here by taking on hate and trying to resolve it at the same time and they're trying to pit these two characters against each other in a larger world that's full of hate and try and get you to sympathize for both of them at the same time and there are times where it does miss and it is hard like playing it the first time and loving joel so much it is hard to fall in love with abby again because you i mean i did like her in the beginning like i liked playing as her i was like okay even if she does kill joel i think i can get on board of playing the character that make her sympathetic enough and they put i will agree that the first time at least i played it i felt like they put her stuff they didn't give me enough information about her in the beginning and they put her stuff too late in the in the back end of the game for me to really care 
Playing it a second time, however, I would disagree with that opinion just because I already know what happens and I already know the story. I think it's done well done from this perspective now, but playing it the first time, it is definitely a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. That like you play so long as Ellie, and then they have the interlude where Jesse dies, and then you go back to Abby. And the whole time I'm thinking, when am I going to go back to Ellie? When am I going to go back to Ellie? And it never happens until all the way through all three days. And I think that took away from Abby's part of the games for me is me having that thought process of like, when am I going to go back to Ellie? When am I going to go back to Ellie? And that it took my my brain away from focusing on her parts individually. But having played it a second time, I haven't gotten two days into Abby's experience because I didn't wasn't able to finish the game. Uh, it is more enjoyable knowing that I know when I go back to Ellie and I know how long I'm playing for as Abby. Like, I get it now, because going in, I was like, they're not going to make me play all three days all over again as Abby. Like, there's no way they can do that. And knowing that they do, it makes it a lot easier to get through, because I know how the story is going to go. I know how long I have to play as her for, and I understand her character a lot more. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So, yeah, certainly it sounds like for both of y'all, in the very first playthrough you had, when this Joel death occurred, it, as you mentioned, was a very tough pill to swallow. We mm-hmm. certainly have that hatred for Abby. And then eventually when they do the narrative switch to Abby's perspective, it's difficult for a couple of reasons to fully uh, be with that side of the story um, to fully connect. And so we can talk a bit more about that when we get to the midpoint, but as we've alluded to half of this game is with Ellie, half of it is with Abby and in Ellie's portion you were completely driven by that revenge, trying to right the wrong that was Joel's death. Uh, and so just to briefly go through it, what were some of the major moments in Ellie's portion that you guys, that stuck out to you guys, that you thought were important for the character moments, for the thematic moments? What were the big elements that worked for you guys? Well, for me, uh, Ellie is sort of like, they, they end off on Ellie having that big, brutal moment with Joel's death and then you the audience have that same feeling of I want revenge as Ellie does which is it I think it works well that they tell all of Ellie's story right away and then tell all of Abby's story kind of like Rashomon style retelling of, a, of the same days over and over again I I like that a lot because if I had if it had gone back and forth like maybe day one Ellie day one Abby day two Ellie day two Abby if they had done that then mm-hmm. I would not have been like my revenge for Abby would have continued through into her parts and it would have made me hate it even more playing as her. So having me play all three days as Ellie, I'm getting that revenge feeling and it's sort of exhausting out of me as she's doing these horrible things and it's getting worse and worse. Like when she torches Nora, it's like, oh, this is leaving. Yeah, like she, like, it's the first moment where like you feel really good about doing this, but then the longer it goes and the more of an impact it has on Ellie, you're kind of like, oh oh maybe we shouldn't be doing this maybe we should just go back home and sort of accept what happened because maybe it's not worth the emotional toll it's having on ellie because clearly she does not want to do this she just feels like she has to and that's where the revenge is born out of it you firefly there are no fireflies anymore Where's Abby? I'm fucking dead anyway. Why would I tell you anything? 
can make it quick. Or I can make it so much worse. Think about what he did. How many people are dead because of him? Last chance. I'm not giving up, my friend. She does not want to kill all these people. She feel, it's it's the whole idea of like you did this to me. Now I have to get you back, and that sort of revenge feeling is pushing her forward. It's like I we like it's like when people say, um, "Why are you making me do this?" You know, it's that feeling of like you did something to me. Now I have to get justice. They think it's justice, but it's revenge, and that is what pushed Abby to kill Joel. That is what is pushing Ellie to kill all these people. And that's pushing Abby to fight back. And it's just this whole cycle is going back and forth. Like, I have to get my justice, but really it's revenge. And so Ellie's portion of that, watching her progress, get worse and worse, and then ultimately kill Mel and Owen when Mel's pregnant. And that in that in her mind is uh, she sees that happen. <laughs> and then she sort of like thinks about Dina internally. Like, you don't know she's thinking about Dina, but Dina's also pregnant. So she's thinking about Dina as... A pregnant woman and thinking about the horrible things she just did and it's just becoming too much for her to bear and too much for her to handle and she's at this point i believe questioning whether it's worth it to continue and whether or not they should go back because when they go back they have a moment where it's jesse and tommy and her and they're just talking they're like yeah let's go back let's let's just go home and then abby shows up and kills jesse and that sort of is what pushes her forward more and more and more and it's that itching feeling in her in, in, in ellie getting to her thinking i need to get abby abby is the, the person i need to get to and you can see that in day three for ellie when she abandons jesse to go with tommy there's so much in this game when she abandons jesse to go who is going after tommy to go after abby so that she can get her revenge on abby specifically and ends up killing mel and owen and so for me ellie's revenge story sort of gets worn out more and more as it goes on she's getting more exhausted it's costing her more in terms of risking the people that she loves and she's starting to realize that and she's starting to snap out of it and then that's when abby shows back up again and then it cuts to abby's days your thoughts sean so i can talk positively about this section so let's yeah. let's, let's get started with ellie's day one <laughs> go off go off sean. Well, i already do love ellie i think ellie she's not she's not my favorite character but she's such a relatable character with mm -hmm. all the emotion she feels, what she's going through. I love the relationship she has. I, Dina is a very strong character introduced into the game. And I mm -hmm. do want to talk about characters, but I'm going to wait until we get to Abby's playthrough because okay. that's where I'm going to talk negatively about certain things. And it honestly doesn't have to really do with Abby. as it was something mm -hmm. else. But okay. I'll wait for that. But in this one, I love this part of the story. Mm-hmm. Not even just for the revenge part of Joel. Maybe during, during the, the first playthrough, I'm like, all right, here we go. But playing through it again, there's, there's so much to take in with how Ellie's feeling when Jesse shows up, when mm. Dina says she's pregnant. Yeah. And I'll be honest, I, I hate that I'm saying this, 
but probably some of my favorite moments are the flashback moments. Oh With no, Joel, me too. They Those are, are beautiful. They give you so much information too mm-hmm. about like what happened in between the first game and now, mm-hmm. like the birthday moment in the museum. That was so. That is the best part of the game, if you ask me. Is that mm-hmm. whole? You're not fighting zombies. You're not fighting enemies. You're just spending a day with Joel and Ellie having fun, and I love that. Holy shit, Joel! We're here. Oh my god! It is a dinosaur. Yeah, it is. Joel! Surprise. Holy shit. Oh, it's a motherfucking dinosaur. King of the tyrant lizards. That's a big boy. I'm glad they gave us that too, especially yeah. after what they just did to him. Like mm-hmm. that, that was good. I will give Naughty Dog credit. Thank you for that, Naughty Dog. But I also want to say the flashback i believe it's in day three when uh she's like she left jackson is like tell me mm-hmm. what happened tell me the truth right now if you lie i'm leaving if you tell me yeah. the truth i'll go back with you mm-hmm. and then joel just says that one line of like if they made a vaccine you would have died and she just breaks down tell me what happened here If you lie to me one more time, I'm gone. You will never see me again. But if you tell me the truth, I'll go back to Jackson. No matter what it is. Making a vaccine. So I stopped them. done mm-hmm. oh, yeah i didn't i didn't know we, we, if we were ever gonna get that in this game and we did yeah that 
that tore my heartstrings more than Joel dying. I'll be honest. So mm-hmm. I still think Joel's a bad bad guy, but I love him. Like he just does so many bad things. He lied. He killed. Still lied. Mm-hmm. Still killed. It's, it's, it's this whole thing. He and then Abby, not Abby. Sorry, but like you're saying with Ellie, like this revenge story. She kills so many people to get to one person that she doesn't, and she doesn't want to kill him. Like as much as I, I honestly enjoyed the Nora part. I'm mm-hmm. not gonna lie. I was Damn. really happy when she killed Nora. Not and not like the torture part. I'm just happy she killed her. Nora was annoying. I'm sorry. Nora was annoying until you get until you meet her through Abby's perspective. She was annoying. Um, and also I hate Mel. Sorry, <laughs> I don't Damn. like Mel. I was so happy when that knife went in her throat, bro. Oh my wow, god! Even when she was pregnant, Jesus. I don't care. She chose up the baby, not me. I don't like her character. Uh, I, I I just didn't like her, like how she acted, how she treated. That's one part about Abby that I felt bad for. I hate how she treated Abby. I know what Abby was doing because the whole mm-hmm. Owen thing, but I hate how she treated Abby. I don't care if you're pregnant or if you're emotional. Like, she just makes me upset as a character. And I I, I, I do like Owen though. I think Owen is a very good character. Mm-hmm. He, well thought out. He's different, but he he's on like you think he's on like the like the villain side, quote unquote. But he's like a better person than that he just wants mm-hmm. to leave and do his own thing go back to the fireflies even if he is very very horny at the same time it's yeah. very un- it's very uncomfy some rough sex yeah. in there huh yeah it's, it's yeah. kind of uncomfy a bit but anyways that that's abby i mean for ellie they did her story very well mm-hmm. with when the, with her and dina's relationship building to them revealing to each other they both have a secret one's pregnant one's immune and it leads to the debacle, and then Jesse shows up, and he does not help at all. Mm-hmm. I will say though, I am she gets, upset. He gets Tommy though. He gets Tommy. I guess. That's but true. I am upset with how Jesse is quote unquote built up to just meet an end like that. Yeah, no, me too. That is the one complaint I have. Is it feels like they killed off Jesse, not for Jesse, but for ellie and dina to have that farmhouse end moment at the end without any complications like that's stupid. why they killed him off which i think is stupid like i disagree with that like i i agree with you there that's my biggest complaint is that they just kill off jesse for nothing he was one of the only okay out of new characters in last of us 2 out of all the new characters he was one of the only ones i started liking it was mm-hmm. like him and owen him and owen were like out of the, oh and dina i like dina i like manny, manny oh was- yes i, I Thank you. I was There's, talk plenty. About There's plenty. Yeah. I was going to talk about Manny as well and during Abby's part. But mm-hmm. um, he was one of like, the genuine characters I started liking, Like even if he had like this weird love triangle with the three of them and he wasn't yeah. as important, but he still shows up to help out. I was genuinely starting to like him, and then they just... Killed him off, yeah. It was, that was a hard, another hard death to deal with. It was that and Joel's. I was like, I, I really like this guy. You really built him up. He seems like a cool dude, and now he's dead. Just, just like that. Just gone. Made me very sad. There was one thing that I really liked. You talked about Nora's death, and you talked about the flashback where Joel tells Ellie about what's going on. And I like the way they place that right after Nora's death because it's it's like you're questioning the whole time whether Ellie even knows if why Joel is dead. Like if she even knows what's going on, if she's going to find out through them, or if she already knows. And then you see her kill Nora brutally, and then there's a flashback to oh she knew before this she knows why joel's dead she knows why they did what they did and she does not care 
She does not care that they had, you know, like reasoning behind killing Joel. She does not care about any of it. Joel is dead, and that's what matters to her, and she's blinded by that fact. I also love the line she says. She's like, I will never forgive you for this. Like, I'll go back to Jackson, but I'll never forgive you. And it shows over the course of time that while it doesn't say she forgave him, she still cared about him to do mm-hmm. all of this and commit all this murder. And yeah. I, I really like that, I'll be honest. Yeah. Like, she, they took her character during the flashbacks to this emotional, broken person after what Jill did to mm-hmm. still showing how much care she had and what she would do for mm-hmm. Joel. Very well great. done. They did great for that. So Ellie, Ellie's, I give a good thumbs up. Ellie's yeah. birthday was great. Ellie's Ellie's moments were very good. I will say that when we get to Abby's parts, I liked the sequences in Abby's section more than Ellie's section. Even and I liked playing like as a gameplay person, I liked playing as Abby more because I liked her weapons and her abilities more than Ellie's. But uh, the heart for me was in Ellie's section. Like I'm more connected emotionally when I'm playing as Ellie than when I'm playing as Abby. So it's about even for me. But we'll get to the Abby stuff. We'll get to it in a second. Right now, we want to talk about the midpoint moment where the storylines combine. Now, what happens is Abby rushes in to try and save Tommy with Jesse. Jesse gets shot by, I'm sorry, Ellie and Jesse run in to save Tommy, and Abby shoots Jesse. And we have no idea why, how Abby got there. We have no idea who Lev is at this point, just some kid with a bow and arrow who shot Tommy in the leg. We have no idea what's going on. We just know that Abby is holding Elliot gunpoint and then it cuts and it cuts to Abby's backstory, which is also so well done. The flashbacks in this game just overall are so incredible because it's just like most of the time, like sometimes there's fighting in it. Most of the time it's just exploring and learning more about the character and diving into that. And I love that about the flashbacks and her flashback where you meet her dad and you find out how cool of a guy he is. And then you find out that he's the doctor that got killed. That's her emotional connection. But there's a very important moment in there. And it's when the doctor is talking to Marlene, who's from the first game. They brought her back. And Marlene doesn't want him to do the surgery on Ellie because it would kill her. And she's just a kid. And he's pushing to have have the surgery done to save people. And she asks him, if that was Abby, what would you do? And he doesn't answer. So obviously... That dark Abby's father would do the same thing Joel does. Like he would not let it happen. Like so, this is this is more than just a feeling that Joel has. This is an overall feeling that people have towards loved ones that you would do this for love. And that's the whole point of the first game is it's about love and the things that you would do for love. And you see Abby comes in and she says, you know, I would want you to do the surgery if that's what it would take. So obviously Abby's also in Ellie's position where she would want to die. Like she would be willing to sacrifice herself. But of course, Abby's dad wouldn't care about that. He would do anything he could. And then he sort of brushes it off like it's a hypothetical. We're not in that situation. I have to go do this. So even though he's aware of Joel's situation, he's willing to go forward and do this. So there's just so much unpacking to do with that whole sequence of that flashback. You're learning so much about Abby. You're learning so much about Owen and their backstory. You're learning so you're that was the moment where I kind of started sympathizing for Abby. Like, I get it. Like. I understand why you did what you did. You didn't have to do it so brutally, but I understand why you were so fixated. Like so many people you care about, because she didn't just care about her father. Like all of those fireflies that he killed, she probably cared about some of them. Plus her father dying. Plus, I don't even think at this point, it's not even about the cure. Like the cure for me, that's just gone. The whole concept of creating a cure 
does not matter anymore. This is just about killing each other. No, no, no. Because at this point, Abby doesn't care. It's not even about the cure. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was never really about the cure either. Like that was the whole yeah, point of the game. <laughs> yeah, it was it was the catalyst that got them into that story, but it was it was just a MacGuffin then too. It was all about their relationship together and how that develops. And the cure is just the reason that they are together. Like they're trying to get across country to make that cure. And then he throws that all away because of the emotional connection that they had created. If Joel had not traveled across the country with her, if it had just been someone else or if the flyer the fireflies had brought her, then there would be no second game because Ellie would just die. And then that would be it, and they would have a cure. But it's the fact that the cure created this situation where they would have an emotional bond that Joel would use, that would affect Joel into preventing him from that cure being made, that sort of cycle thing of the cure causing a relationship, the relationship causing the prevention of the cure. That whole thing is like poetic in a storytelling manner. Like, I love that. And then the way they bring that back here is the cure doesn't matter. It doesn't matter anymore. The only person in the world who could have done it is dead. Like it, it's, it doesn't even matter at this point. It's just revenge. You killed my father. Prepare to, prepare die, to die. Kind of thing. Yeah. Just yeah. back and forth. That whole thing is beautiful. So I love the way they contextualize that in Abby or Joel killed Abby's father. So Abby killed Ellie's father figure. And now Ellie's going to go kill Abby. That, that horse, the, the whole cycle back and forth. Right. And that's definitely one of the major themes of this game and this whole story um, and with, issues. yeah for daddy sure. issues and with this narrative switch so it sounds like those flashbacks were successful for you and i also mm-hmm. think they obviously served a strong purpose to show you why abby's doing this specifically and to make us realize oh she's doing this for the same reason that we just played all throughout ellie's park because her father was killed and she wanted revenge that's mm-hmm. the exact same Thing that Ellie has been doing this whole time. So we understand yep. their motivations are the exact same. Um, yep. So we have to treat them as just as right or just as wrong, depending on where we still are at this point in the game. Mm. Um, but once we have that moment, then as we've talked about before, we play the whole rest of the game, not the whole rest of it, but another 10 hours uh, as Abby. Mm. And so with this narrative switch, I want to talk about how you guys feel both like initially when you were playing through it and now reflecting on it do we think the narrative switch was successful because i think in some ways it has strengths in that they like Druckmann and Haley gross the writers were clearly trying to to make us have that full hatred for abby and then put us in the shoes of someone we hate walk many miles in those shoes and see if we can still hate them and still wish death upon them Mm -hmm. um and so that's a very bold and courageous move to yeah. put us in the position of the villain and have us play effectively the same amount of time as them, as we did with the character we have already identified with, already had history with. Um, and so that experiment to try and make the player through experiencing the other person's storyline come to empathize with them and understand them and begin to care about them and no longer want them to be dead or just no longer see them as the villain mm. i think was a great thing to try out but as we can see it didn't work for a lot of people because many people stopped playing at this point many people just didn't end up caring about abby and still wanted to kill her at the end of the game mm. so that is making me question whether or not 
it was the most effective choice to have their storylines come one after the other, right? Mm -hmm. Play the A side with Ellie and then the B side with Abby. Should maybe there have been an alternative way to structure it where players are better able to connect with Abby, like especially in the first playthrough when you're Mm -hmm. just beginning to see all these things about her? Is there a better way to to structure it to where those thematic things are still in play, but we are able to better connect with Abby. Um, yeah. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? The The first time I played through, it was difficult. Like I remember not wanting to play as Abby the entire time because I just wanted to play as Ellie. And I had that thought process for a long time. And of course, like I said before, it blinded me to her storyline and her character arc. But this time playing through, I haven't finished Abby's part, but this time playing through, I was able to put those feelings aside, recognize the parts of Abby that I do like. I love her banter with Owen. I love her scenes with Owen. I love uh, her motivations. Like, it's real. Like, it's not like she's crazy. Like, she's just a fire, random firefly who decided to kill her. Like, she has those real motivations in her father being killed like that and having everything taken away from her in that instant. And so, like, I understand her motivations, and it is uh, it is much easier for me to play as her and to like her, especially the parts with Lev and Yara. Like, those are interesting to me, and that giving her that kind of emotional connection to those kids is, uh, is an excellent thing, if you ask me. Like, I think they did a good job with that, because it gives her more, gives us more motive. Because you can't hate Yara and Lev. They're so great. They're, like, good people. And so giving her more motivation to live and to, to give it because like without abby they would be dead and so that gives me more motivation to keep playing as her and to want her to live and to keep going the first time i was still pretty blind to this because i really didn't want to play as her but now i have a lot more contextualization with her situation and understanding of, of what her mindset is at any given point in the story other story structures i thought about when i first played it i thought about what if they had just done each day and gone back and forth then, or if they'd gone back and forth the whole time and it would have just been too much switching. It would have been too jarring. You wouldn't, you would have just gotten used to Ellie when they switch you over and that would have really sucked. And then I thought about what if they had done this game in multiple games? Like what if they had a game like game two could have been like Abby, like you get to know Abby throughout the whole game, like another 14 hour one where you get to know her and then you also play as Joel and you also play as Ellie and you're you're just like there's some kind of story narrative where Abby is crossing the country to get to Joel but you don't really know why so you're not you don't hate her right away and so you just like get to know her as a character and you like her again and then you find out why she's there and then game 2 or maybe even at the end of game 1 she kills Joel and then game 2 is about that revenge story it, it's just cuz there's not enough time to get to know Abby before she makes that choice and so people just hate her instinctively just immediately no matter what they built it up with because there was just not enough of her and so it's an interesting kind of hat trick they're trying to do by giving us a character that we absolutely hate and then trying to make us sympathize with that character i think that's what they wanted to do is to like give you that sort of typical revenge story but then try and make you say oh if we can see it from the other character's shoes maybe we can break the cycle of hatred and the cycle of revenge because that's the only way to do it is to try and hear their perspective and obviously there can't be like a scene where ellie and abby just sit down and chat like that'd be stupid so we have to put the audience not ellie in abby's shoes 
to get through that storyline so that we can then sympathize with her, understand her decisions and just sort of rationalize with ourselves like, oh, Abby shouldn't really die because of this. We should just let it go and just move on. We should break this. We should end it. And that should just be it. So just to clarify, you think that the current structure, the narrative switch halfway through, is the most effective way to tell the story? It's the most effective way of telling the story they want to tell it. In, like Because the way they want to do it is you hate a character and then learn to love them. That, and this is the only way you can do it without annoying the annoying the audience by being like, let me just play as Ellie. Because you, if you go back and forth, you just want to keep playing as Ellie. Right. By doing it just three days and then three days again, you're, especially if you play it again, you just understand like, I'm going to play as Abby for a while now. Maybe I can just focus on her character and you can learn more about her. And then you can sympathize with her, which is their goal. What they didn't, I, I think that they were really counting on the scenes with Abby being more emotionally effective than they were on a lot of people. I'm not sure if they were counting on people having such strong feelings for Joel's death. They were hoping that that you would have that hatred and then it would just burn out as you play as Ellie. They were hoping it would burn out and then you get to Abby and you can like just start with a, a, a blank slate and just kind of learn from her perspective. And a lot of people, they underestimated the will of people's hatred and how strong it is. But I think that is also effective because then you, if you were to stop and you were really to think about it and you were to really think about Abby's situation, you would realize that you were also blinded by your own hatred, much like Ellie's. And as an audience member, you should, you should also learn Abby's perspective, especially since these are just characters and you're not actually in this situation. And you can just kind of look back and understand what happened, what went wrong, how could this have been prevented? And, you know, just trying to understand the characters' perspectives and try and break that cycle of hatred and, and vengeance and all of that, which is what Abby does at the end of the game, pretty much. Right. Gotcha. Sean, for you, is there a better alternative uh, structure that you think would make them convey some of their themes and their story better? Like, I agree with you, Dylan, that their purpose was to again, make you fully hate a character and then put you in their shoes and try to piece by piece deconstruct that hatred and then make you care for them. Mm -hmm. um, which was, is why they went for this particular structure, I think. Um, but mm -hmm. there certainly could have been one where they interwove the Seattle days uh, or one where maybe we begin with some of those flashback portions. Like we see Abby's, the, like the initial consequences of what Joel is telling Tommy and then we go and see Abby's perspective of it and then now we get to see exactly how bad that was for certain people and then we are able to initially identify with Abby and then later on when we see her around Jackson we sort of already know exactly why she's there but then we're conflicted because we know okay we know what's about to happen we know why but we still mm -hmm. don't want it to happen and I think we would still feel a good amount of hatred for her once she does that but then Later on in the game, if we play through her parts, we get to see more sides of her that aren't just the elements of her consumed by the quest for vengeance. Um, and then maybe that would allow us to empathize with her more. Um, but again, just like you said, when we do the switch halfway through, people are already saying, I don't want to play as Abby. I want to get back to Ellie. 
And I think partially that's because they did it at the climax of Ellie's, her story, her side of it. Because uh, I, the whole thing we're trying to do is get to Abby. We finally see Abby. And then they mm-hmm. stop and rewind and make us start all over again. with the, And so it just kills the pacing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, everyone in the back of their mind is thinking, when do I get back to the theater? When do I get back to the Ellie and Abby confrontation? Um, which is also why I'm thinking an advantage to splicing the Seattle days together is that we wouldn't have that. A nagging feeling of oh I want to get back to that major confrontation um, if you establish a pattern early on that we will be spending a good portion with Ellie and then a good portion with Abby and then back and forth that may make it come across better and allow people to sit with the Abby section better um, but yeah I don't know and I was also talking with Brandon because uh, he had played the game yeah, uh, and so we were talking about it the other day and he also really, he thinks that the narrative switch is the best structure for it, for the story they're trying to tell, but that he wishes the switch would have come just slightly earlier so that we didn't see Abby and Ellie confronting each other. Because again, for him, he was just wanting to get back to that confrontation. So if it happened slightly earlier at the end of Ellie's day three, sometime after she kills Mel and Owen, and then maybe the discussion with Dina and or i guess not dina but with jesse and tommy they're like okay let's head back um somewhere around there because then it wouldn't be the climax of the story and we wouldn't be hungering for Mm. back to that moment yeah um but again i i don't know because i know that what they're trying to do is is best served by this current structure but it also was just too big of a hurdle to overcome for so many players as you guys described your first playthrough, you felt that same feeling. Uh, and if people don't go back and play it a second time and they don't have that context for Abby, yeah. and they go into that narrative switch again, it just seems like it it defeats the purpose and it's too much of an impediment for them to really digest the story and the themes it's trying to convey. So I know it's just a tough situation. The game only works if the player is able to overcome their own feelings of hatred, which is kind of the point. And so many people weren't able to do that because of how much they love Joel, much like Ellie does. And so they just aren't able to like register those, those scenes with Abby because it's so much harder to, to take in when you just hate her so much. But if you're able to overcome your own feelings of hatred and be a little bit more open to the idea of playing as Abby and open to her story, it works on a lot of different levels. And that is kind of a very interesting thing that Neil Druckmann and the people at Naughty Dog try to do, is try to make you overcome your own feelings of hatred within the game and try to address those issues within yourself, which I've never seen a video game try and do. Like, video game is like, here's a cool story, go play. Right. Like, I've never seen a video game try and take a person's own emotions and make you like identify what emotions you're feeling and check them so that you can play a game and be satisfied with it, you know? Right. There's a, go ahead. It's just a very interesting thing for them to do. Like I'm, I'm very impressed that they tried to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It was such a bold like thing. Cause they could have done a safe sequel where we're playing around as Joel and Ellie again, going Mm -hmm. after the fireflies or some other immune plot line. Yeah. But they decided to go with this, which they knew would not sit well with everyone. But I think it's still such an impactful thing because of, like you said, what other video game 
has us feeling the exact feelings that the protagonist is feeling. And then the whole theme of the story is trying to get both that character and the player to lose that hatred mm-hmm. um, and overcome it. So yeah, certainly a very bold thing they were doing with this game. Yeah, Sean, your thoughts on the narrative? So let me start off with, I think Dylan honestly put it in the best way Mm. that I agree with, is that they structured it in the way that they wanted to tell the story. Mm. I do agree that was the best way for what they wanted to tell. I don't think the story is still told the best way, but I'm not a writer, nor Mm. am I game designer i think the game still worked but there was just like brandon said uh that you said from brandon like there's parts that i wish happened i didn't want to go through three days of abby just to get back to that one scene where i play as abby to beat up ellie i did not want to do that Mm -hmm. but i understand why they do it that's the worst part about this is i i i fully understand what they were going for i really do and i hate that i don't like it i really i hate it but mm-hmm. that's just how it has to happen. You got to overcome that hate, Sean. No, I know. I know. <laughs> yeah, I know. you got to check it in. I know. <laughs> well, let me say this, though. When we were talking about structure of the game, I wish at the beginning of the game, even if people disagree, I kind of wish we didn't start with Ellie. I wish we got some – I wish we started with the flashback of Abby at the, at the hospital with what happened to her dad. Mm-hmm. And then we get a little bit of Abby leading up to the moment – of Joel's death and then we can go back to Ellie or like we, then we can start with Ellie and Jackson I mm-hmm. want to be introduced to Abby to feel her pain to see what she's going through to see what she does I don't want to wait 10 hours into the game where I already want what Ellie wants where I already care what Ellie wants to then be switched to Abby to be almost forced to change my mind about her mm-hmm. and now that brings me to what I wanted to say earlier yeah I personally think in Abby's playthrough, because there's not many in Ellie's, there's like two or three, any character they introduced that wasn't named Owen or Manny fell flat for me. Really? And now let me say another point, because before I say this, I want to finish what I want to say, because this is going to probably upset you, Dylan. Yeah. (laughs) I don't like Yara and Lev, but let me say why. Let me say why. Mm -hmm. It's not for who they are. It's for what they are. They are in this game to make everyone feel like they like they want to like Abby a bit more. Yes, I like I like their characters. I do. I love even the moment where Lev cares for Yara and then goes back to his mom and then has to do deal with all that. I really like it. But the point of them in this game is for Abby. It's because you're playing as Abby. And again, it's too late for me. I don't honestly care about Yara and Lev while I'm playing as Abby because Abby doesn't care about them either until day two. Mm. And that's already almost half of her gameplay. Yeah, sure, they save her. And then when she takes them to that part um, in Abby day one, she's like, don't leave here. And then leaves so she can go have sex with freaking Owen. Like, Mm. obviously, that's that's not really why and everything. That's just how I feel about it. And it's... And it's just it's just an opinion. Let's just get that out the way. I, I again, Yara and Lev are good characters, and I love them. But for what they are in Abby's storyline, I don't like them at all. And I don't like Nora. I don't like Mel. I don't like how they're acting. I don't like how they're 
It's just the way they were written. Like Manny, Manny's a good character. Yeah. He's like Jesse though. He meets an unfortunate and he wasn't built up enough. He mm. could have been a great character if they kept him in. But I see they they do it because they know you're gonna care about him. Yeah. Like you're not gonna care about Mel or Owen, which it gives you, I did. It gives you push for Abby. Like to, to understand why she's doing like when they kill Manny, mm-hmm. when they kill Owen, it's like I get I get why she's so angry and I get why she oh, wants yeah. revenge, yeah. But another thing with that I think I believe I told Ryan about this yesterday. In a world full of zombies or clickers or infected, mm-hmm. even though all Abby wanted was that revenge on Joel, mm-hmm. it is a bit frustrating when you have Joel's brother and Joel's daughter figure in the same room and you don't do anything with them. What do you think is going to happen? You're going to get a game called The Last of Us 2. So for Abby to just not expect the outcome that was going to happen after killing joel a little frustrating i feel like she didn't see him as a threat when she really should have because it's joel's brother and again daughter figure so that was a bit underwhelming to me like when they got back when it, when it does come back after abby's playthrough to like that little fight where you play as abby and you kill mm. jesse rest in peace jesse um and uh and you do like that cheap shot to uh tommy who you know still alive it's just a bit yeah it's just a bit unsatisfying to me that i'm like you knew this is gonna happen you knew that all your loved ones could have died because the action you actions you made and you still took them you put them all on the line and you did all this i know i agree i agree with that it's just frustrating as a player no 100 of someone that doesn't like abby like even i was i was mad at ellie ellie did the same thing she put people that she loved on the on the line too just to get revenge and I get that's the point of the story, but it's so it's frustrating. frustrating sitting there doing that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Ryan, you have something to say? I do. For that point specifically right there, though, Sean, of where Abby spares Tommy and Ellie in the beginning once she kills Joel and then spares later again, um, there have been some people that note that it can contradict the theme a bit because, yes, it's the quest for, for revenge that put everyone at risk and that eventually does have all of Abby's people get killed and then as many of Ellie's people get killed or scarred or maimed. Um, but you could also interpret that if Abby had just killed Ellie and Tommy, she would have been fine. None of the other people would have been dead. So follow through by killing everyone if you're going to go on a revenge quest is a potential thing people could interpret, which of course is not what they want you to think, is not what you should think, but that is I, one thing I they brought I do agree up. with that because we wouldn't have a game at that point. But I wish there was some actual reason that abby was like yeah let's spare him like not just because well, it was, was owen like, though yeah well, I mean, but owen does owen... make the point that if we kill them we're no better than joel like that's the, his whole argument like many of them want to kill uh, they have that whole discussion and Owen's like we're no better than joel if we just start killing everybody but and then uh abby's so like streamlined focus on joel right now and he's dead mm-hmm. and her job is done she is she has blinders on right now. This whole beginning part, she has blinders on, focusing on Joel. She doesn't care about anything else. She doesn't care about the people she loves. She doesn't care about the other people that love Joel. She has blinders on. What she wants is to kill Joel. And that is done. And those blinders get lifted. And she says, We're done here. My goal is done. We're going home. Like that's it. We're not doing anything else. We came here to kill Joel. We did it. We're done. So she doesn't want to kill anybody else because she's not an evil person. She's just a person who has been wronged. 
and thinks she's writing that wrong, even though she's just making it worse for other people. So she's just streamlined focus on Joel, can't see anything around her, kills Joel, they open up, she sees all these people around her that she's hurting, she says, I'm done with this, we're done with this, These, this isn't who we are, we're done, we're, we got what we wanted, we're leaving, this is it. And then she just hopes that it just ends there and nothing happens because of it, even though something does. Right. Uh, yeah, to go back to one of Sean's earlier points, I agree that in Abby's arc, all the characters we are introduced to who aren't named Lev and Yara, I did not care about in the slightest. And that includes Owen and Mel and Manny. You didn't Andrew. care about Owen and Manny? Certainly not Manny. I didn't. What the Dude, Manny was cool. Manny was cool. On nice. Joel, bro. I cared about Manny. Manny. And he wanted to kill Ellie. But they didn't. They didn't like build him. It's like Jesse. I cared about Jesse. I cared about Manny. I agree with that. Enough with him. Like they were were just like a throwaway. They felt like Benny and in the Heights. Like what? What's the point of them? (laughs) Besides, like just one point. Other characters to be meat sacks that get blown up. Yeah, hundred percent. Um. So yeah, I didn't care about any of them, and partially it's because I knew the fates of most of them. Mm -hmm. Like Owen, because we see that good side of him. He didn't want to kill that certified person. He was the one who made sure that they didn't kill Ellie and Tommy. So you can see he's like, okay, but I didn't like the relationship between Abby and Owen in the slightest, like the whole thing where they got together and got funky after, I know as she, as he's impregnated some other woman, um, it just, I just love the drama. It just adds a little bit more tension into the, nah, into the just a little, just when she, when she goes and gets them and comes back and Mel's there, just, Ooh, the tension just like, Ooh, we know what happened. Mel probably doesn't. It's perfect. It's like, it's, it's just there. And I just it just adds a little bit more to it, and I like that. Those it gives were, Abby even more to deal with at any given moment. How did Mel get there by herself with a pregnant belly? It's a good question. I don't. I have no answer to that question. Also, why she's was saying. she going out on controls when she's like eight months pregnant? That was also that's also yeah. a good question. That's that's why, this is why I don't like Mel. Her writing is terrible. Yeah, Mel's not my favorite character. She's kind of obnoxious. But some things that I did want to point out with this with Abby's section that I think were really good instances of writing um, are a couple of things. So Sean, you are obviously nail on the head with Lev and Yara being the tools by which the audience is able to see a better side of Abby and thus mm-hmm. we're able to see, okay, she's a good person. Um, but yes, it's like obvious what they're doing there, but I also think it's effective in the same way that Joel and Ellie, you know what's gonna happen when you see that hardened survivor going with this young, scrappy, foul-mouthed uh, little girl you know what's about to happen, but it's still effective in the way they do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you open yourself up to that in Abby's section, I think it does end up being really effective. Mm-hmm. So on that front, I thought those characters were definitely some of the best mm-hmm. uh, in yeah. the whole whole thing because they did have a lot of attention. And again, they were essential for Abby's arc. And yeah. I think that the way that they have framed the conflict between the factions the wlf and the seraphites is obviously mirroring what the player is supposed to be going through with abby so for instance the seraphites or the scars as they're initially known we just see them as these near cannibalistic i mean they're disemboweling people um just brutal vicious cult right mm-hmm. that's all we know them as initially and yep. then over time through abby's experience with lev where she initially gets saved by Lev and then will eventually return the favor and try to protect Lev and save him and his sister. They, she is able to see that this 
person that she initially would have seen as just an enemy, just something else to kill, something else to overcome, is now humanized, right? Mm -hmm. She's able to care for them uh, in their situation. And so it breaks down the hatred that Abby had for this cult group because she's able to see Mm -hmm. specifically their experiences Mm -hmm. and is interacting with them personally. So that is what is supposed to be going on between the player as we play with uh, play through Abby's section. So that stuff, like that parallel, I thought was really incredible. And then I also think in some of the flashbacks with Abby during her section, it also tied to the themes that the story was trying to explore. Through Ellie, we see the toll, both psychologically, physically, in terms of social relationships that questing for revenge can have. Mm-hmm. She's getting teared, tore down. Um, but with this part, with Abby, we're supposed to see how initially achieving that revenge, killing Joel, killing that person that you wanted to go after, doesn't bring peace. It doesn't mm-hmm. bring closure. And we see that through the fact that she's still having nightmares. Um, yep. And it's only through doing good actions, right? Doing something that isn't uh, born out of some hatred, but something born out of love and care. Mm-hmm. That is how you're able to find peace and move on from something like this. So in the flashback of day one, we see her go into the hospital. It's the same nightmare she's having over and over again, but she's already killed Joel at this point. And yet she's still having these nightmares. And you see that it's Lev and Yara hanging up, like being hanged. Um, and so that sort of motivates her to go back for Lev and Yara as you mentioned, Sean, like she only goes back and starts really caring for them in day two. Um, and so after she does start caring for them and they go through that whole hospital trip to retrieve medical supplies because Yara's arm is bright, tomato red, it's about to get amputated. So after that is done and she right does something sort of selflessly i mean she's mentioning herself that she's doing it to lighten the load to make herself feel better but it is ultimately only putting out good energy into the world essentially she's doing it again to better other people to help other people rather than hurt other people and so at the end of day two you have that flashback of her walking down the corridor into the hospital room where her father died and what do you see her father alive smiling so what is that trying to say to us i think it is trying to speak to the point of she already got her revenge and it didn't fulfill her it didn't complete Mm -hmm. her in any way only through doing these good actions and taking on a protective role for lev was she able to to find some measure of peace Mm -hmm. and so i I will say oh well yeah, I will say to your point, Sean, that Lar- that Yara and Lev are tools for Abby's progression. You are correct. Like, they are being used to push her character forward. But what makes them distinct compared to, like, Jesse and Manny is that they have their own individual character arcs and their own backstory that we learn about. And we learn, mo- like, we care about them as individuals apart from Abby because of the trauma that they're going through with the Seraphites and with what they're going through with their mother, which is crazy stuff. And so we learn about these characters sort of individualistically as opposed to Manny and Jesse, where it's like we learn about them, but only as attachments to the other characters. And we don't know who they are as individuals outside of those other characters. And then they just die. So I I do care a lot about Yara and Lev, and I like them a lot as characters. And I think yeah. they do, like Ryan said, I think they do a great job 
making me feel for Abby and making me mm-hmm. understand her character arc a lot more. And I think that's very effective the way they did that. I do. I do agree with you guys on that. Like, again, I like them as characters. I don't mm-hmm. like, I just felt like since I'm playing as Abby, I felt like I was forced to like them, which I did. I really did like them. Like they're kids. Like I'm not going to hate a kid just because they, like they saved Abby and they do care about each other and they have feelings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I fully agree with you guys on that. It's just the fact of like, I don't know. Maybe again, like I said, it was just a bit too late for me because like I wanted to focus on Abby's story and Abby's story involved both those kids a lot and a little bit of Owen because there's like a lot of back and forth with Owen. Yeah. Like Owen did. Owen wanted to go with uh, her and Lev to the island. She said no. And she did this back and forth thing with Owen and Mel. I don't care about her. She can get out of here. But, like, Owen and all that. One thing that I guess did in moment, because I just thought about it, and this it can be interpreted in your own way. I don't like to interpret it that way because it takes it away from me. But a lot of people compare the days of Abby with Lev and Yara to how Joel was in Last of Us 1, and I don't like that. I, want Abby, to be, I want Abby to be her own character. I, I think don't it's want distinct her... enough. I think to an extent, yes. I do think there are some parts where they're trying to make it kind of Joel Force. Like, there's that line where it's like, you are my people, where she says that to Lev. I'm like, eh, you met them a day ago, and I know they're kids, but, like, you, I, would, I wouldn't have said that to Lev. Like, I know he's a little immature. He's a kid. He's a bit naive. That's a bit of a cheesy line to say, because he mm-hmm. just said, but these are your people. I'm like, no, you're my people. It's a bit, eh. but I just I hate that the I hate that comparison. I don't think that should be a comparison. I don't want to blame the devs for making people think that the comparison, but there mm-hmm. is some elements that I see that I wish wasn't fully like that. Sure, I think I, for me, I think it's distinct enough to where I can see differences because the characters are so different and the situation is so different that I think. Like, I understand the point. It is the same purpose. It is like, let's introduce a child to make the character seem like, to make to soften the character and make them more likable. Like, it's the exact same thing. Like, I get it. But it is distinct enough, and it, I mean, it still works. Like, it's, it's still, like, for me, it still works. Like, I, I care about Abby a lot more once Lev and Yara are introduced. Like, I feel like she's a much more sympathetic set of character that way. So, if, if, it, if it works, don't, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. It is kind of upsetting to me a little bit, though, that she really only shows that compassion with Yara and Lev, if you think about it. Like, mm. I, you know she cares about Owen. Like, she does. But she does treat him very poorly near the end of... She sleeps uh, with him, I mean... Okay, but after <laughs> after insulting him, after saying all that stuff and, like, making him feel bad about what he's doing, and then he counteracts with, uh, uh, what was it? What did he say about the whole Firefly thing, like... It's he was like, leave. oh, I didn't go back to my people, or I didn't find the people who killed my I, family. Yeah, Should I do that? Exactly. Yeah. Which was a great that that was great character building. Yeah. That was a great link for Owen. I just she did treat him like crap though near the end. Like mm-hmm. at least with the the inflection she had in her voice through the acting. I think I don't just... know if it was the exact written dialogue. Yeah. The way yeah. that I I saw it. Like the only person I could really say she also kind of cared about near like the end was manny because manny's just like that like jesse character where it's like yeah oh, you don't hate him you don't love him he's just a friend like yeah. yeah she she had no bad beef with manny and then manny died so 
so but i felt like just, it's really just yarn left left personally there's just so many layers with her relationship with owen because of their history and everything that went into that and i feel like she does have still love him but it's hard for her to show that because he's with someone else even if they had sex she's with someone else she's pregnant there's no way that they could be together and she knows that there's no way she knows that responsibly she shouldn't try to make them be together like she should let him go and try and be with mm -hmm. mel and so she has a sort of resentment towards owen because of that and that shows a lot in her character i want I mean, it's 100 percent on her i want to see what happened i want to know what happened with them like i want to know i want to know more yeah about, like, like why they broke up specifically and stuff. yeah like what like what happened from they get to this point where they're still flirtatious but they're not it was her quest she was too tunnel visioned on getting revenge on joel and he was like bro you gotta chill out and she was like this is what i need to do yeah i mean so there was that like, flashback where it showed like hey she gave up but then she's like i found a lead and then mm -hmm. he's like no come on like come on but i don't know if that's the full full thing you know i don't know i just a little bit more just a little bit more because i like owen i like owen as a character but now he's dead so it doesn't matter yeah, what you got, right? But again, I was just saying it was a big uh, obstacle. The fact that I knew they were going to die, and like, I just didn't like Abby and Owen's relationship in the slightest. So that was always not great for me. Like Owen as a person, I could be okay with, but the whole relationship they had, despite it serving some kind of purpose, I was just not attached to at all. But as for going back to the whole relationship between Abby and Lev, and how that's supposed to parallel Joel and Ellie from the first game. I think it's a very, again, it's one of those that you sort of know that's what they're doing. But when you think of it in terms of the themes that they're trying to go for, I think it's interesting that on the Seraphite Island in day three, mm -hmm. Abby is actively killing WLF members in order to protect Lev, in order to get him out mm -hmm. uh, safely. And so... That essentially means, in the same way that Dylan, you brought up the parallel between Abby's dad and Joel earlier, Abby would do the same thing that Joel did. If yeah. Lev somehow were immune and the plot of the first game was carried on by Abby and Lev, Abby would have done the same thing. She yeah. would have saved Lev and killed all those other people to do it. Because we see her do essentially that, a form of that, in killing her old comrades Mm -hmm. uh, to get Lev out safely, mm -hmm. they only knew each other for like two days. <laughs> so yeah, that I'll is a that. great, that yeah. is a whole great sequence. That whole day three, which is on that island, and like you learn that mini lesson of like hate just hurts everybody when you find Lev and Lev had killed his mom, and you're like, well, the mom's dead, and Lev is traumatized now. Like hate ruins everything. Chasing me, trying to make her stop. It's just pushing hey, her off of me. Hey, hey, hey. She hit the table. Listen, Sarah. you were defending yourself. You did nothing wrong. And then that message gets really hammered in when the WLF soldiers show up, and there's just that huge clash of them all just killing each other for 
for reasons that we don't even know. Like they never even tell us the real reason why they're clashing. There was a truce and the WF think the Seraphites broke it and the Seraphites think the WF broke it, but it doesn't even matter. They're just fighting each other because they hate each other and it's in ingrained in them. And they're just killing each other for essentially nothing. Like they have no idea why they want to kill each other. They just are. And Abby's like trying to get through this and just trying to leave. And she doesn't care who she has to kill to do it because she has this love pushing her, this love for Lev, this love for even Owen, really. Just trying to get through and just try to escape all the hate. And I just love seeing that huge clash at the end because it's not only graphically is awesome and incredible to watch, but so poignant on the idea of hate ruining everything and just destroying everything. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's another mirror to the Abby and Ellie parallel is, again, those factions between the uh, Seraphites and the WLF. They're fighting for reasons we don't know, and it's probably a revenge sort of thing. Of uh, they're just trading, you know, tit for tat. Well, they killed these people, so now we need to kill them. And then, well, they killed more of us, so we need to go back and kill more of them. Yeah, just this never-ending war that's fueled by continuous revenge. It's um, just that whole. Yeah. it's like a parallel, like you said. It's really well done. I love. And then after she escapes the island with Lev, she, you have this sort of moment where you're thinking, oh, she's going to. Maybe like maybe she's realizing what this revenge is doing and why it's so futile, and then she finds Owen dead again, and then boom, just like that, it's taking over her again. Like you just can't help it; it's just such a natural response to something so horrifying. And so she's just immediately back into the set of the the mindset of like, gotta find the person who did this, and I gotta kill them, no matter the cost. And so she takes Lev with her to go to the theater and kill them. And she's in that moment, and she's fighting Ellie. It is a bold choice for them to make you play as Abby beating up Ellie. I remember doing and thinking, I can't believe they decided to do that. Like, what a, it would have been one thing if they had, like, if you had done that whole thing and then played as Ellie and they left it on uh, you, like, beating up or Abby beating up Ellie and then cut back to Abby's story and then had you replay that section as Abby, but you only ever play it as Abby and you're just beating up Ellie, this character that we all love. Like, what a strong choice for you to make. Like, and that is the one thing where, like, if I was on that team and I was looking at that, I'd be like, do we really want to do that? Do we really want to make them play as Abby beating up Ellie? Because that makes me not like Abby more again. Yeah, like, I've gone through this whole developed progress, and this is the one thing that's kind of pushing me away from liking Abby again is me, like, fighting her. But then I guess you get that scene at the end where now you're Ellie and you're fighting Abby and you're just beating her up. And it's just based on revenge at this point. Because it, when Ab- you're playing as Abby, Ellie is trying to leave. She's trying to leave with everybody and just get away. And then when you're playing as Ellie, Abby is just trying to get away. And so you're playing as the characters who are being fueled by revenge at the moment rather than mm-hmm. trying to escape. And so you're feeling that hatred either towards Abby or towards Ellie. Nobody feels it towards Ellie, but towards Abby. But And so they're just trying to get that feeling out of you and just like, I don't like this feeling. I wish they would stop fighting, I guess, is the message they're trying to get across. But it is such a strong decision for them to make to do that. Right. And just to speak more on that, the midpoint redux, where we finally arrive back in the theater, but now we're playing as Abby, and we see the fight unfold. The ending to that, where Abby gets the upper hand, starts bashing Ellie's face in, Dina comes up and tries to slice down Abby, and then she gets hit by an arrow from Lev, and then now Abby's thrashing Dina around, smacking her, and then pulls a knife out. And Ellie, which again, just great voice acting all around this joint, but when she's like, stop, stop, 
She's pregnant. She had nothing to do with this. She's pregnant. And then Abby goes, good. the Pikachu surprise Pikachu phase when that happened um which I was shocked at that point like I can get behind making us play as Abby fighting Ellie but to have Abby say good and we know why because I mean she's currently being fueled by revenge and yes we're thinking of Mel but had she said something like well so was Mel I think that would have came across far better than good to me that would have been on too on the nose because I think good is like it's that message of like, so was Mel, but it's it's too on the nose to say, so was Mel. But I think that would have humanized her more because people, a lot of people point to this moment of showing like, well, now I want to kill Abby again. Like the, she was going to relish in murdering Dina, knowing that she's pregnant. She was right about to do it. Like that's just cold, like purposely killing a pregnant person. Well, um, that's the whole point is that they push Abby in this moment right to the edge of that revenge like as strongly as you can feel about revenge as possible and then lev is the one that brings her back and saying like what 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 are you doing like but i don't know if and again if you get to that point where again she's currently fueled at revenge because of all her friends being dead and she just smashed those people up the adrenaline's flowing she hears that dina is pregnant and that doesn't halt her at all and in fact fuels her more fuels her more to cut her throat. I don't know how two seconds later, Lev just merely saying Abby is going to break her out of that. I feel like I would have liked more of a recognition that all this happened, like all of her friends being dead was a direct result of her going to Jackson and bringing all those people there and killing Joel um, so that she is able to come to terms with the fact that she needs to break this cycle of violence. Um, but again, it just seems like the fact that she was so fueled by revenge to where she would say good as she's about to slit a pregnant woman's throat. Well, she's got blinders on again. It's the same thing as in the beginning. But I don't know how you get out revenge. of that so quickly just from someone saying what. And because again, deep down, doesn't... she doesn't want to kill a pregnant woman. It's just those blinders yeah. that are on. She, she's not like, she's not really thinking, oh, thank God they had a pregnant woman so now I can get my one-to-one revenge. It's just those blinders of like, I have to kill everybody involved in killing my friends. I have to kill every single person that is involved in this. And if she's pregnant, good, another baby to kill. Like, I have to kill every single person involved in this situation. And then it's just those blinders get lifted off by Lev. And then Lev is just like, what are you doing? Like, this is too much. Let's let's dial it back a bit, bro. Like, I fully agree with Bill and honestly on that. Because if you look back at their relationship too, they both weren't really fond of each other. So I feel like if she said that, like so was mel yeah she didn't really she was too fond of man like, i think it would have shown though it would have shown that again i just think good is too strong of a of a thing that she's saying as she's about to do it for it's a those blinders to be lifted off i think had she like she has the knife to the throat still and she hears that she's pregnant and then that takes her back to not even for mel's sake but owen's baby and she's like well so was mel and she's like visibly hurt by that She's like, I can't believe that 
that would happen. Like she maybe thinks Ellie purposely did that to um, Dina. And so she's about to continue that cycle of revenge. And then that's when Lev is like, Abby, like, don't do this through the look. Um, And then I think that would be an easier way for her to come back. I think it was just too strong. It was too much for her to say good once Um, we heard that info. And it's too much of a thing to overcome. Like if you really, I just don't think someone like Lev saying Abby would have had her stop if she fully was aware of what she'd be doing if she slit Dina's throat and then said good just to inflict more pain. Like that wasn't even, she didn't need to say that. She didn't need to say good. She didn't like, say anything. She chose to do that to inflict more hurt on Abby or on Ellie rather. Um, and I just think that was like, you went too far in that moment. Uh, so I think if they just would have phrased it differently, I was saying so was Mel or I don't know, something else that wouldn't have been as intense as that, um, it would have been better. Because I think it was just, that soured a lot of people to Abby as well. Because, mm. um, I mean, you see Ellie puke when she finds out that she mistakenly killed a pregnant woman. And then you see Abby in the same situation, willfully about to slit a pregnant woman's throat. It just seemed... Well, again, I my personal opinion is that, is that Abby has lost so much more than Ellie. If, if Dina had died... I could believe Ellie being in that exact same situation. Like, Abby definitely loses more in this place. Like, Abby pays the most from all of this. Like, she's the one who has the biggest paycheck from all this revenge and all this hatred, which is the point because she's the one that sets it off. Right. So we can get back to that when we talk about the finale because you have a very contrarian position to most people. Most people are saying things like, Abby lost nothing which i think is absurd of course she lost all of her friends but i would still probably wager ellie lost more but we can talk about that in the finale uh before the finale though we had this epilogue where abby at love's beckoning decides to spare ellie and dina which also brings another point that i was talking with brandon about which is at this point it may be practically uh make more sense to just kill them off they came after you once and now you're leaving. There's no guarantee. I mean, she doesn't know what story Ellie's been through. She doesn't know that she'd be less inclined to revenge. So if your goal now is to make sure Lev is safe, uh, it would probably make more sense to just kill them at this point. But she decides to spare Ellie and Dina, leave with Lev. And then we have this time jump where Dina's baby, I think JJ is the name, right? Something yes, JJ. Jesse, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, Jesse Joel. They go to, or so they're at this little farmhouse, and they're enjoying their lives. And Dylan, you have something to say? Yeah, to your point about her, like, just leaving them, that she should have killed them. Yeah, killing them would be the realistic response, and they just get it over with so they could just leave. But I think thematically it works better that she doesn't kill them. Not only does the, the story continue, but also it shows that breaking of the revenge cycle one way. And then you have to have Ellie go through that same process of her breaking it too. Because you can't just have one person break it and have it end. Both people have to drop it. Sean? I agree with you to an extent, Dylan. Because I do think, I do agree with you on that. But mm-hmm. only if they didn't have what they had at the end with what Ellie does. Because Ellie does the same exact thing that Abby does. Where she, just, she goes out her way to do this and doesn't do it. We'll get to it. So, we'll get to it. Okay, yeah. We'll <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just saying. I just, wanted to, I just wanted to throw that in there. So the farm, we see that Ellie's still having these PTSD episodes and the, fr- the flashbacks. She's not 
at rest with everything that happened. Which was really well done. Peace. Yeah, her in the farmhouse, and she's like freaking out, having a panic attack, and Dean has to show up. Really cool. I like that a lot. But yeah, she's not at peace with it. She's freaking out. She can't handle it. And T- Tommy comes back and says, Tommy apparently has not let it go. That's one of the things I didn't like, is Tommy was willing to let it go, and then now... A year or so later, he's picking it back up again. He's like, I found her. So I've been putting out feelers for months now. And this new guy heard my story. He told me about a woman that he traded with while he was moving through California. Described her as built like an ox, traveling with a kid with scars across his face. He said they're living along this coast in a beach sailboat right here. That's gotta be her. We're done with that, so. It's easy. Forget about her. You sitting all comfy way out here? Hey. I'll make her pay. Tommy. That's what you said when we got back to Jackson. Tommy. What a joke. I was like, Tommy, you, just like Abby. you had let it go. I guess, but Tommy, Tommy had like let it go, let it go. Like he was like, let's just go home. It's done. I don't want to die for this. But Abby did too. Because in the flashback, Owen said, it's been a decade. So she did let it go, but then she found a lead. So it is kind of the same thing. I guess, I guess. I'll give you that. Like if I guess Tommy probably wasn't like really searching for it, but I guess if he found mm-hmm. a lead, maybe he'd be willing to pick it back up. But it does seem... There was no moment where Abby was like, I guess we can let Joel go. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, wait, I found a lead. There was like, Tommy really like let it go. And was like, let's go home before we die for this. Because that's not what Joel would have wanted. And then... And then he brings it back up. He's like, "Let's go. Let's go finish this. Who cares about what Joel would have wanted? Let's. Who cares about how happy we are? Let's go kill him." Right. That's. I think one of the biggest contrivances of this story is this whole turnaround, this 180 that Tommy goes through. Because mm-hmm. in the beginning, like he actively wanted to lock Ellie up to make sure that she didn't come after him or come after Abby in Seattle, and so mm-hmm. that's why Tommy went on his own because he knew. The number one thing Joel would have wanted is for Ellie to be safe and to be alive. Otherwise, his whole sacrifice, dooming humanity, would have been for nothing if Ellie got herself killed trying to avenge Joel. Mm-hmm. So Tommy knew that in the beginning and so actively tried to make sure that Ellie would not be able to seek revenge. And then Maria, right? Tommy's yeah, probably wife. Yeah, Maria. That was also, I think, a very dumb decision. Who in the world would hear that request from your husband? Uh, and then say, yes, I will now send these teenagers on a quest to bring back my husband, despite the 
explicit wishes for <laughs> these teenagers to not go on that quest. Yeah, but, that just but again, awesome. that's the thing that goes back to love is that you love some people so much that you'd be willing to risk anybody, anything to save them. Like Maria knows her responsibilities with the town and that she has to stay, but she's willing to risk Dina and Ellie just to bring him back because of how much she loves him. Which is messed up. Also, does she it know is messed up the immunity true. for Ellie? Did she know? Yeah, she yes, knows. Yes, it Which was Joel, it was Joel Tommy, Joel, Tommy, and Maria. That's it. Before that is Dina. so dumb. I really but, didn't like that choice. Or this choice to have Tommy now be the one pressuring Ellie to go. Because mm -hmm. that completely defies the way he felt earlier yeah, in the story. And I disagree with that. Joel's wishes. So that was... Mm, I didn't like that part. That is true. I do... Like, yes, if you do look at it from the way we played the game and, like, what the story told, yes. But I want to throw in two things. One, based off how Tommy was sounding, like, for some reason he threw in the fact that, oh, me and Maria Splitsville. That's a weird thing. So he's obviously not at the best state of his life right now. Let's get so that So clearly out. he's not able to let it go as much as he True. initially thought he would. So clearly over this yeah. year or so period, he's still holding on to it. That is probably the reason she left. Him. And that's what I was going to say. We don't know what happened since when they left, like when Abby let them go to them having that baby and having that mm -hmm. farm. It's been almost a year. Tommy might have formed to the, into this new person that couldn't have let it go. And that's why maybe him and Maria split up. Like, maybe that's why Tommy's been keeping distance from Ellie and stuff like that until he showed up. It's like, I need you to do this because I can't. Like, we don't know. It's been a couple months. There's no way Mar There's no way Dina had that baby in a month and Tommy's like, let's go kill him. It's She just found yeah. out she's pregnant. It had to have been at least a bit. So if there had been more dialogue from Tommy explaining how like maybe he's like talking about his nightmares and how he can't sleep and how it's ruined his life and he needs this to be ended, perhaps I could see it making sense and then it could connect to ellie's same problems and that could be ellie's mm -hmm. like reason like that's a, there's a lot of subtext in that but there's no explicit like tommy this is an issue for tommy it's just like he wants revenge and i really wish they had written that dialogue just a bit better because it could have made a lot more sense yeah. and it could have connected to ellie's problems a lot more but ellie's reason for going after abby it makes sense she's still haunted about it because she feels like she didn't finish the job or she didn't like officially because Abby's the one who drops it and she wasn't given the opportunity. She didn't get the final word, I guess. And she needed that. So mm -hmm. that pushes her to leave. But then once again, her revenge, her desire for hatred is what ruins her life because of it. Because in the end, we see Dina and JJ are gone. He had so which with, oh wait i'll let you go ahead oh, go ahead first ryan I'll well do you have ahead. something to say about the farm because i'm about to move on from the farm it was about it was about uh where dina and jj went and like that whole thing but i'll, I'll wait till we actually well, yeah that's get towards to the, the end because that's yeah. a big, big part of the ending so with the farm after the panic attack and tom shows up we see that initially ellie and dina are like no 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 i'm not going but then we see it's really weighing on ellie so she does end up deciding to go and Dina, of course, is not happy about this. She delivers an ultimatum and says, if you go, I'm going to not be here when you get back. I'm not going to just sit around and wait for you to potentially die. And so Ellie still decides to go after Abby again. And so at this point in your first playthrough, did you want Ellie to go after Abby again? No. 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 Okay. Not at all. But I knew Why? she had to do it. She had it. She had everything. Why? I knew that she had to do it because she still had those feelings of revenge and she couldn't let them go. And so she had to get it out in a healthy way, which involved confronting Abby and just ending it her own way. Without actually, healthy. Well, healthy ish. It was her way because like if she had killed Abby, that would have been stupid because it would have been like, oh, we learned nothing from this. 
but she fights Abby and then realizes how futile and how stupid this is and just lets Abby go and then leaves. So yeah, we'll get to that point. But I did want to hear, because I was talking with Brandon, like I said, the other day, and at this point in time, he wanted Ellie to still go after Abby, which I think we all know, like, character-wise and story-wise, Ellie had to go after Abby again. But did you personally Mm -hmm. want Ellie to go after Abby? Not at all. He was still in the mindset But if she did go, I wanted her... If she did go, I wanted her to, to, to just do it because it, that's been happening the entire time where they come face to face and they don't kill each other and they say some stuff and they beat each other up and they say some stuff and they don't kill each other. I wanted her to do it. I know the whole point that Dylan's saying that I do mm-hmm. agree with is the whole like you need to stop the hatred, you need to end the cycle, you need to learn to like remove that from you. But just in the case of Ellie, because of, there's been just, just so much back and forth through the whole story. I guess it can bring her closure because she got the beater up and she got the final little mm. beat him up. But also, if she did kill Abby and all that at this point, there would have been no repercussions unless she still had panic attacks. Because no Lev, one would have went Lev after would have been the repercussions. Then Lev would have come back and killed her. And then Dina would have gone and she killed Lev. Killed Lev kept too. Going. She already killed one, baby. She well, that was what I wanted to ask that as well. But getting to that final scene at the pier, the boat, where... Mm. After coming across Abby on the pillars, who is very thin now because she's been getting starved, mm-hmm. uh, her hair's been cut off, so she looks extremely different from how we've seen her earlier. Ooh. It's clear that she's endured a lot of suffering. Ellie cuts Abby down, uh, who then goes and saves Love. They go down to the boats, and it's interesting because Abby didn't Doesn't fight th- or anything. Yeah, didn't think Ellie was there for revenge. She was like, hey, there's some boats this way. So almost seeing like, oh, maybe she had gotten captured too, and she escaped, and now we can go escape together. Um, that was really interesting <laughs> as well. To see she had fully moved on. Like, she wasn't about to attack Ellie for what she had done to Owen and Mel and all of Abby's friends. So Abby, at this point, was out of the cycle. Ellie is following Abby to the to the beach and is overcome by another flashback of Joel's destroyed body, his messed up face. Mm-hmm. And so she gets compelled to end it. She feels she needs to finally go through with this. So she goes to Abby, who refuses to fight her. Ellie then goes up to Lev, threatens to kill him. Uh, and that forces Abby to fight. And then they go through this whole fight where you're playing as Ellie, fighting Abby in a fist fight with a knife thrown in there. Um, and then in the end, Ellie loses that knife, gets some fingers bit off, bitten off, uh, but ultimately gets the upper hand and starts drowning Abby. So at this mm-hmm. point in the playthrough, I want to know what you one thought was going to happen. What did you think the story was actually going to do? And what did you personally want to happen at this point in the playthrough? Sean, I guess we already know you wanted her to go through with it. <laughs> I thought she was that? going to, and I wanted her to. Oh, you did? Keep it that. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm, I was I'm so excited. Opposite. I didn't think that they were going to go through with it. And I also really didn't want her to, just because I know I didn't particularly like Abby, but I also know that Abby... As much as her and Ellie probably both deserve to die at this point for what they've done. <laughs> Abby, Abby, she has people to care for now. She loves Lev. Lev loves her. They should just take care of each other. And also, killing Abby would not help Ellie. Like, just like how killing Joel haunted Abby, killing Abby would haunt Ellie. Yeah. And that would make me sad. Is like to see her nightmares and her PTSD get worse and worse and worse because of her actions. And so I'm glad that she did not kill abby i'm very glad about that gotcha so yeah so ultimately 
Laporte's Ellie spares Abby, which happens when she gets a brief flashback of Joel alive. I think up until then we've only seen flashbacks of him brutalized, but this one is him alive playing a guitar on a porch. And immediately afterwards, which this is a very minor complaint, but I feel like she should have been continuing slightly longer of choking Abby out, like still having that back and forth in her mind of should I continue with it or should I not? Um, But right after the flashback, she spares Abby, tells her to just go take him. uh, And then Abby gets invoked and leaves. And we see in a beautiful, I mean, just absolutely immaculate image of her sitting in the water, fog surrounding her, crouched down, crying. And that is the end of essentially that cycle of violence, right? Mm. Can I just say, also, when when she goes to fight Abby, it's not like she pulls out a knife and just stabs Abby. She wants Abby to fight back. Like She does not want to just kill people just to kill people. She's always been like, you have to fight me so that I can kill you while we fight. Like It has to be an evenly matched thing. Like, we have to fight. And it's not because she had a knife. She could have just gone and just killed Abby right there, but she wanted a fight out of it. She really wanted to draw it out. She didn't want to just brutalize Abby like Abby did to Joel. She really wanted to make it a fair fight and just whoever wins, wins. And that's what she wanted. And in the end, she, of course, is a stronger person. I mean, look at how frail Abby is. Like, Abby was not going to win that fight at all. And so, of course, Ellie was winning and she let it go. And that is a beautiful shot when she's like choking her and it cuts to Joel and Joel's just playing guitar. And it's the first time she has her own because we have flashbacks of Joel that are just for our sake. And then that's what every flashback that Ellie has when she's thinking of Joel is brutalized, like you said. This is the first time she thinks of Joel and he's just Joel again. And so she, in her mind, has let it go and accepted his death and accepted what has happened, has accepted everything she's done and everything Abby's done and is just ready to let it go. And she just lets it go. And I love it. And then she's, like you said, just beautiful, just her crying in the, in the water. Yeah. And water is truly transformative, <laughs> especially in this game. For sure. For sure. Uh, and so I do, I like your point of how she wanted to just fist fight Abby because she had multiple opportunities just to end it and kill Abby. But mm-hmm. when she wanted it to be an actual fight, said, fight me or I'll kill Lev, like stand your ground and take me on uh, or take on me as that take other great moment on. in the thing. <laughs> great scene, great scene. Um, but I think that's also emblematic of the selfishness that Ellie has that has taken over Ellie mm. through her vengeance quest because um, we see how she puts a whole bunch of people at risk and now even though she does have a family I mean she literally has Dina and JJ but she's still choosing to put herself in a position where she could be killed could be just never return home uh, when she could have otherwise just gotten the revenge right slit Abby's throat when she's defenseless but she chooses to put herself at risk, um, which again, I think shows that she doesn't really care for her own life anymore at this point. Uh, it's just that overwhelming feeling of thinking, I need to get retribution. I need to go through mm-hmm. with this. So that I thought was also powerful. As for the flashback itself, I want to know what you guys feel about why exactly was this the moment that helped Abby or that helped Ellie rather not continue the cycle like why is this the specific point where she breaks it because she's there and she's doing it and she could just follow through then she knows it and she's realizing that this is not what joel would have wanted her to do this is not where 
Joel would have wanted her to be. She, and she knows that Joel would have wanted her to be on that farm with Dina and JJ. And that she ruined that for this. And that it's just not worth it at this point. That she needs to just let it go. I don't know. She's weak. I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I love Lily. I, 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 she couldn't do what she had to do. <laughs> yeah, she, she's just weak. Um, no. Uh, Joel just really became that figure for her. She, he, even though he lied and he pretty much doomed humanity at this point, that's still like her father figure. Like, just that's all she wanted in the end. She wanted that family with Dina. She wanted that life she could have with Joel and Tommy. And I feel like she just realized through the flashback of Joel that killing Abby won't bring it back, won't make it right. It's just gonna it's just gonna bring her more pain. It's mm. not gonna it's not gonna complete her. It's exactly. just gonna disappoint her and Dina and Joel and everything. Exactly. So I think she got her victory. Even though at first I really, really want to see that throat get sliced, I think she did get her victory. She won. She technically did win. She didn't cost anyone else's life. And then she, you know, went back. And I think that's I agree with Dylan. That's exactly what Joel would have wanted. Even if Joel didn't want the fight, I think Joel just in the end didn't want the blood on Ellie's hands further than that. Right. Wouldn't want her to, again, put herself at risk uh, when his whole reason for doing that terrible action he did was for her safety, for her to be alive and to experience life. Um, And so, yeah, for me, the, the flashback, like you mentioned, she currently has the upper hand. She could do it. Nothing is really stopping her. Abby's not going to be able to resist. So effectively, she's won at this point. Dylan, I like how you brought up how she needed to have that final word. That's mm-hmm. why for her, the cycle wasn't broken when Abby spared her. It needed to be something that she did herself. Yeah. And so she currently has the final word. I mean, she just needs to punctuate it with either killing Abby or letting her go. In that flashback, the forgiveness flashback, I think is really interesting because it shows how... I mean, we already sort of knew, but a lot of what is driving Ellie is the fact that she feels guilt over the way that she never fully mended that relationship with Joel. Mm-hmm. Um, and so part of why she never know she actually forgave him. Right. Part of why she's so angry is because she felt that was stolen from her. She mm-hmm. chose to not live like two years of her life with Joel because she was angry about mm-hmm. him lying to her. But then right when they were about to repair that relationship and get some of that time back, Mm-hmm. It's completely stolen away forever because of Abby's choice. And so mm-hmm. Ellie feels an immense guilt around the fact that it was essentially her choice that she didn't have those uh, those moments with Joel anymore. Um, and so with this, this flashback where Joel's playing the guitar, she comes up, sort of reprimands him for trying to micromanage her patrols and intervening in her life, like standing up for her against that one bigoted dude mm-hmm. when she wanted to just do it herself she again wants to be independent of joel because him micromanaging will remind her of how he sort of took that choice away from her in a way uh to sacrifice herself for the cure so we have all of that in that flashback and then ellie mentions that uh, she felt like her life would have mattered had she been sacrificed um, which again sort of speaks to the way that in the end of the first game she mentioned that Sam's death, Tess's death, like everyone who died in that first game and who allowed her to live 
that would all be given meaning if she was able to arrive at the fireflies and was able to create that cure, create the vaccine. And so the fact that that didn't happen for Ellie means that not only was her surviving over all those other people who died ultimately meaningless because they died for nothing in her mind, um, it's Joel specifically who took away the chance for all of those people to have their lives or rather their deaths be given meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really interesting the way she meant she said that. And then Joel, he says, if the Lord would have given me another chance, I would have done it all over again. And then Ellie, which I love this part, it's amazing. Ellie knows that, fully comprehends the love that Joel has for her and says, I don't know if I can ever forgive you for that, but I would like to try. I think what's so important for me is that when we're looking back on Ellie flashing back to Joel, she's so focused on his death and she's fo- so focused on that bad relationship that they had. And she she just keeps thinking about those two years that she lost and the decisions he made and everything about that. And then after she's let it go, she can finally look back on that one moment that we haven't seen yet and remember how they did have a good moment. They were going to repair it and the love that he had for her does exist and still exists somewhere out in the world and that she can still feel that, that it's still there, even though he's gone. Like that love still exists for her, even though he's gone. Like she just forgot, like she just couldn't focus on that. She couldn't think of it at all while focusing on her revenge. But now that she's let it go, the love is back. And like, it, it is such a good feeling for her to have, even though she's lost everything, she still has Joel's love. I'm not trying to. I was supposed to die in that hospital. My life would have fucking mattered. But you took that from me. Somehow the Lord gave me a second chance at that moment. I would do it all over again. I don't think I can ever forgive you for that. But I would like to try. Very, very ending, the third epilogue, 
we have Ellie arriving at the farmhouse again. It's slightly more dilapidated now. We see that she has two fingies missing. Uh, and she walks into the house, sees that it's cleared out. No one's there. Dina and JJ are not home. She starts playing guitar. Um, she but can't. she's incapable of doing it because of her fingers being gone. Uh, and then that's when we get the Joel flashback. And then we come back and she sets the guitar against the windowsill and walks away. And of course it's Joel's guitar, it has a little moth thing on there. Um, and she walks away. And so how did you guys feel about this ending? Did, what was it signifying? Was there her bringing herself peace with Joel's death? Is she now able yeah. to have closure? Yeah. Signified by her leaving that piece of him, that major piece, the guitar with the moth, mm -hmm. leaving that behind? Yeah, she has that closure. I don't know if she's really leaving it behind. I, they're probably, they're probably going to resolve away in the next game or whatever they plan to do with the series. With like I feel like that's like now her guitar, but like the fact that like she's just like putting it down does show that she has peace. But I don't think she's like getting rid of it or like leaving it. Yeah, behind. no, of course it's more just like she doesn't need this guitar to be attached to Joel anymore. She has Joel's memory, and that's enough. Like, the guitar is just an object, and she's aware of that. The yeah. emotional significance of that object is important, but not as important as her memories with Joel, because that's the most important. I think that's what she realizes, that it's just another object, and she can't take it with her, so she's just going to leave it. Mm -hmm. Right. Gotcha. All right, so two other major points that I want to bring up before we wrap up. First is another point of conversation around this game and whether it was effective or not in trying to execute its vision was... Ludo narrative dissonance. Ludo meaning like playing games, mm -hmm. narrative being obviously narrative. Um, and so it's the disconnect between the story that the cutscenes are trying to convey to you and then the story that is brought up through the gameplay that you're doing. So for instance, mm -hmm. people were saying that this didn't make sense. Like it's even more egregious that she doesn't kill Abby in the end because she's killed how many hundreds of people? through the gameplay, like how many people have you shot and killed or slit their throat, all that, trying to get to Abby, only to, in the end, not kill her. So some people felt that there was a big disconnect there um, because in the end, you're supposed to have forgiveness or just not continue the cycle of revenge, yet you kill a bunch of people and they go out of their way at the game to give names to these people. They're mm -hmm. not just blank NPCs, but now they're trying to say... Um, they're trying to get you to realize that these are people who have friends, who have families, who have their own lives. And so in theory, right, wouldn't any of these people who are dead, wouldn't their friends also want to take up this revenge? Isn't Ellie, through the gameplay, killing all these random WLFs? And I mean, if their friends were alive. <laughs> isn't that uh, going to continue the cycle of violence? Um, so I just wanted to get your opinion on the discussion around the Ludo narrative. You raise an excellent point here, buddy. And I feel like the fact that you have to go through and you have to kill all these wolves and all these scars just to get through the story is more or less out of entertainment because you can get through a good chunk of it without killing anybody. There's some where you have to kill people. Like, you can't get to the next part until you kill them. But there's a good chunk where you can sneak by. And so I feel like what they're trying to get through is, like, what Joel did, he chose to go through and kill all those people. 
to save Ellie. But what Ellie and Abby are doing when they're killing other people is they're these people are like in the way and if they can get around them they can if the, if the player wants them to but at the end of the day there's a war going on in seattle and if they get caught they're dead like that is just that they're it's more defensive than what joel has done or what abby has done like when ellie kills the people or when tommy kills the people that are friends with abby it is out of hatred and it is out of like revenge that's what abby kills joel is out of revenge when joel kills the people to save ellie it is out of you know love to save ellie but he's they're still in the way and they're gonna stop him that's not really defensive that's him like saying i could let this go and walk away or i can kill these people and get ellie when they're going through seattle it's more like i have to get to this point and these people are going to kill me if i don't which is kind of similar if you think about it too much but there's just a little bit of a difference also it is just a game. And what's more important is the lesson that we're learning than the dissonance between that lesson and the actual gameplay. Because we're killing we're killing all the scars because it's fun. Like to, to do stealth is fun. And to kill these people is it is like it is it is uh, uh an enjoy it is it's what keeps us there for 13, 20, 24 hours, you know? It's what keeps us going back and playing is that we have these challenges to overcome. If it was just a game where you're walking around and you're just reading things, you can't get through that 24 hours. That'd be impossible. There's no challenge. There's no interest. It, it, it ruins it. You know, it makes it a lot, lot harder. But this, it is just a game to get us to play and to learn the narrative, you know? And you could make that argument, but I think that's just too nitpicky, if you ask me. I mean, maybe. But I think because the themes are so essential to this story, I mean, it's the, as Druckmann says, it's the emotional core. Mm. Um it is interesting that it asks you and sort of requires you to go around killing a whole bunch of people in order to progress through the game. Um, and so the alternative would be, because you had brought up how Naughty Dog doesn't give you choices in the game. It's mm-hmm. a story that you're just being put inside of and going through. Um, whereas other games have these systems of, right, the honor systems or where you can either play as the hero or the villain, mm-hmm. do good choices, bad choices, and that affects how the story uh, progresses. So I don't know, some people were just mentioning that as maybe it would have been better if there were elements of choice in this. But for me, I mean, I disagree with that, but it does then present the ludonarrative dissonance where partially through the gameplay, you're contradicting what the story itself is meaning to convey to you. I just thought it was was an interesting uh, point of discussion around this game as well. As for the next thing, this is another little discussion piece um, because a lot of people are questioning whether Ellie suffered more or Abby suffered more through their quest of revenge. And in the the very end, when she's arriving at the farmhouse, we see the fingers and then it pans out a bit. And then you get to see her other arm, which has Dina's bracelet on it, which she did not have when she went after Abby again. So do you think that this means Ellie has actually reconciled with Dina and JJ and she's just returning to the empty farmhouse to get that last bit of closure and leave the guitar there? Um, Or do you interpret the ending as no, Ellie, through going after Abby again, did in fact lose Dina and JJ for good? I think she definitely lost Dina and JJ. At least not for good, but she lost them in that moment. She left. Like, there was no moment where they didn't show us her reconnecting with DJ and 
and Dina or JJ and Dina because I feel like that would be just a little bit like why would they not show us that like what's the point and also it's more punctual like it, it, it hits the hits the nail right on the head for the the theme of hate that she chose to follow this root of hatred one last time and then lost it all because it lost all of her last connections now she has to go find new ones or go try and rebuild it kind of like joel like joel lost his connection with ellie out of love and ellie lost her connection with dina and jj out of hate and it can happen either way but at the end of the day you got to keep fighting for it if, if it's what you really want and so i feel like in my heart i don't think they're going to do a third game but i feel like ellie is out there trying to reconnect with dina and jay trying to find them trying to live with them again or at least trying to at least get emotional closure that way i don't think that they had that moment and didn't show it to us because i think that'd be silly i think maybe she had the bracelet with her the whole time and she wore it at the end because she's missing them and she's realizing what she had and how great it was and how she's lost it now and well, I wouldn't that be well because if she's recognizing that the guitar itself is just an object and also i mean functionally she can't really play it anymore so maybe that's part of why she's leaving it behind mm-hmm. if she's recognizing that she doesn't need that to feel the connection with joel why then put back on the bracelet of dina because she's not done with Dina yet. I feel like she's going to go find Dina. She's not, I don't want to say she's done with Joel, but she has closure with Joel. I don't think her relationship with Dina and JJ has closure just yet. And she has to go and try and find it and try to repair it as best as she can. And just try and live with love in her heart rather than hate. Gotcha. The other element or the other evidence that would be in favor of maybe there was a reconciliation that happened off screen is the fact that when Ellie arrives, the house is significantly more dilapidated, right? So it's not like Ellie just came back from her venture with Abby. She's also not calling out for Dina or JJ. She's also not surprised that they're not there. So it seems like this is pretty far ahead. Like, Well, she went from Wyoming to Santa Barbara and back without a car, like on a horse. That takes a long time. That's a good couple of months to get to Santa Barbara and back and do all this stuff. But with the house, at, well, maybe I don't know, in the apocalypse time. And yeah, there's nobody taking care of the house. There's nothing going. It's overgrown now. They probably let all the animals go, packed up and left. I don't think there was a reconciliation. I feel like that is too silly of them to do, to imply and not show. I feel like that would, it, like it just takes away from the other alternative, which is that she lost what she wanted because of what she tried to do i feel like it would take away from that point a lot like what's it's it's the same thing as like like what's the point of her risking her relationship with dina if nothing comes out of it? like if they're just back to the same thing right they could and i agree with you there how that would sort of take away the consequences she had for in that moment continuing the cycle of violence and choosing to go after abby but then the alternative would be maybe it's showing how someone like dina who is more forgiving i mean we see that she wasn't as opens on vengeance earlier in the part with Ellie's section. Mm-hmm. Um, so someone like her is willing to to understand what Ellie was going through, understand that that wasn't her at her best. And so she's capable of forgiving her because she's already cared so much for her and empathizes with her. So it's possible that that could be what they're going with. Um, but again, it's it seems like it's left up to interpretation. Sean, what yeah. would be your interpretation of the little bracelet at the end? Well, I have actually seen some discussions about the ending, like YouTube, uh, some interviews, stuff like that. Uh, I've seen a lot of people um, think that the 
where Ellie is going after she loses the guitar is back to Jackson because that's where Dina is to go reconcile with her, and like that makes sense to me. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm I think it's best to leave, to leave it up to interpretation, but mm-hmm. I do think Dylan that there will be a third game because money is money. It's a good story. It's I selling. Guess you got a point. They 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 both games have won game of the year. They're making money off it. Um, it's still a great story, great game. Like the mm-hmm. entire thing, both games. I don't see. Like, why I would one hundred percent play it a part three. Yeah, I don't know why yeah. they would stop it there, especially with Abby still alive and Ellie still alive. We don't know what's going to happen with them in the future. We still have some characters in Jackson still alive, like Tommy and Maria. Mm-hmm. Even if Maria's not that big of a character, Lev is still alive. And then, like, there's there's just, like, a lot of other factors that might happen. Like, who knows what's going to happen. Now that there's no, like, solution to making a cure that they've solidified in this game, they could do almost anything they want. Because normally in, like, a zombie-style game, it's like, we have to find a cure. We have to find how are we going to change the world back to once it was. In this game, it's like, no, how are we going to survive? That's literally all it is. There's, there's nothing with a cure. Unless they try and go back to that route, which would be, eh, you know. Not what I want. I, I like the, the world building they have right now. But, I mean, I definitely think, through my interpretation, she put the bracelet on because she wants to reconcile with mm-hmm. Dina, and she does care about Dina. I think I do believe she went back to Jackson because that's the only place Dina would be. Yeah. So I think that's just where she could have gone because I, I just don't know where else Ellie would have gone, personally. Yeah, I don't... I don't know if they need a third game. I would definitely play one if they made one, like 100%, absolutely. And if they did, I would like it if Abby and Lev weren't in it. I feel like their story is done. Like, I feel like they are concluded. They should be gone. That whole story is over. No more revenge that it's over. It would ruin the punctuation of the end of this movie to bring them back. I feel like maybe something with Ellie being the parent figure to JJ, maybe, a la Joel and Ellie would be interesting perhaps but there's just no like with the last of us 2 there was a, a a very strong continuation from the last of us the one like i knew where it was going to go there was going to be something to do with what joel had done and how that would affect their relationship i don't see how it can continue strongly like i don't see how i can make the end of the last of us 2 roll into the last of us 3 unless it's something to do with ellie's decision how that has affected her relationship with dina and jj is the only way it could like roll one into the next. But I mean, you have the first game which is about love and you have the second game which is about hate. What would the third game be? Like what would be that emotional core of the third game? Uh, that's a great question. Yeah. That's specifically what Druckmann mentioned with creating the second game is they needed some sort of emotional core to it. Um, and so the prevailing emotion, as you mentioned, was love in the first one, hate in the second. Yeah. Um, so we'll see what the third one will be. I do think they're going to do a third one. Uh, you're saying money is money, Sean, uh, which certainly is the case, but there's also probably a big uh, portion of the audience that just won't do a part three at all because of how they responded to part two. But yeah. I do think that there is more, like I would just love to see Ellie like repair her life and find that perfect meaning as again. long as we only play as ellie in the third game that's all i want or like a really cool new character like jj or something that'd be interesting yeah okay that's fair we don't need to play as anyone else though abby was already a stretch for me what's not true yeah. i think i mean i don't know they could maybe do an abby love dlc at some point because they also because like what are they gonna end up doing with the remnants of the fireflies it almost seems like they, they would want to continue with that 
and also because they were so essential to this part and they are going back to the fireflies which again was a major plot point of the first one i could see maybe them doing something with that but it also it have to do a really good job to make it not feel contrived to have ellie and abby wind up in the same storyline again yeah i feel like abby's storyline should just be done like I, in my first opinion, I'd be upset to see them brought back. Other than apart from like maybe a, a casual mention from out from Ellie's team, like like where is she? What's going on? Who knows? But if she they actually brought the character back, I feel like it'd be disappointing just because I have so much closure with her and Lev's storyline as it is. Yeah. Like they are alive somewhere else, and it, they're doing their own thing. I don't need to know anymore. Yeah. Like nobody's hunting her anymore. She's not hunting anyone. Her storyline is done. She has closure. Ellie has closure. They're done. They don't need to be near each other anymore. It's over. Right. All right. What are your guys' final thoughts on The Last of Us Part 2? Anything else that you want to add or throw in there? Uh, I mean, I think we got it all out over this <laughs> three-hour show. Make a the show here. episode, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm just going to say it doesn't matter if you hate the, the leaks or the story or love it. You just got you. You still have to play experience. You gotta play it, yeah. 100%. Don't let no lesbian, transgender, whatever stop you. If that stops you, then yeah, you don't deserve to play the game. Personally. Yeah, then you suck. You're a sucky person. Everybody should at least try it once and then form your own opinions about it. Don't take other people's opinions for yourself. Don't don't let that get in the way of you playing a game because at the end of the day, I guarantee you will still like the graphics and the gameplay and being in that situation and parts of the story i'm sure you'll find there might be things that hang you up about it i'm sure but if you play it you will find something to like about it because it is a good game overall and you should definitely give it a shot on your own for sure and it's very thought-provoking given Mm -hmm. that we just spent three hours talking about it so it's certainly not going to be a wasted experience if you go through it so definitely try it out all right sean out of uh 10 Golf clubs. No. We have beaded, we have <laughs> out of ten, out of ten bloody joels. <laughs> That's so how would you how would you rate the game, Sean? Okay, I've I thought about this and I I'm happy with it now to give it a eight out of ten, a nine for the overall look of the game. Mm-hmm. It looks great, it looks beautiful, and from what used to be a five story could now be a seven. Ooh, we All bumped right. them up. We did it. We it's did not it. bad. It really Honestly, though, playing it the second time... It helps. It helps a bit. It helps. Because I know what's going to happen. happen. I know the whole story. If you play it once, try it a second time, maybe a year later, see how you think. You know? Your interpretation can change. You change as a person, so the story changes to you. It's just such... There's just so much happening and so much intentional thought into this story and so much deliberation in every single thing the characters do without it seeming on the nose that I think is just so incredible in the way neil Druckmann and the naughty dog team tell stories like it's so fantastic how much goes into these stories and i i love the amount of work they put into it so at least give it a shot and give it your honest opinion for me i will give it a nine out of ten Ooh, with the first of- game being a 10 out of 10 yes the first i game agree with you flawless. on that 10 out of 10 first game flawless. <laughs> but but that's because they did come up with a very easy but very it, like it works it's a very simple story but it works and that's why they got away with a 10 out of 10 here they're doing something a thousand times more complicated they're trying to do attempt something that has never been attempted before in gaming and really trying to blow it out of the water and they don't nail it 
but it was worth a shot and i love so much of this game and i have so much fun playing it i respect their me yeah 100 percent. everybody should respect the attempt that they do here to try and make gaming more emotional rather than just a man in a controller or a woman a person in a controller trying to really engage you in the story and create emotional storytelling that really impacts the person and changes them like you would if you were watching a movie or reading a book or listening to music trying to really invest that emotional time into a video game so i applaud them for the attempt i don't think they nailed it perfectly but i think that they in my opinion i think that they were close with the amount of deliberation they had into it the amount of work they put into it they really almost they were this close to achieving something that would have been mind-blowingly phenomenal if they could get people to recognize their own hatred in their in their selves and be able to let it go as abby and ellie do that would have been phenomenal but i feel like so many people weren't able to get to that point just because of the emotional connection to joel and everything about that and the way they went with the story so it doesn't mm-hmm. nail it perfectly but it is so close to being perfect so it is a nine out of ten for me ryan from your from your gameplay views what would you rate it <laughs> i would give it an eight out of ten so again i agree with a lot of what you mentioned dylan about how it is such an ambitious story uh, and it i think delivers on a lot of fronts but as i mentioned throughout some of these i don't think it entirely works like that narrative switch is just such a difficult thing because we know Mm -hmm. why it's in there we know it's trying to service the story they're telling but it also is such an impediment to many people that Mm -hmm. even for you guys the first playthrough it was difficult to get through it um, even when you had a generally positive outlook on it so yeah, it's certainly an incredible once-in-a-lifetime game experience, I think. And I'm hoping that we will continue to get more like this because it is, mm-hmm. like we said, I mean, it's so much to unpack, so much to think about, uh, which is really what you want to see. You want to have that mm-hmm. intense emotional experience. And for people who didn't like it, people who did like it, mm-hmm. it certainly provoked a lot of discussion, a lot of reaction. So mm-hmm. a massively ambitious, bold project that they did in uh, a significant marker, I think, in video game history. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I don't, at this point in my life, I do not play a lot of video games anymore. I've sort of uh, evolved past it. I don't really spend a lot of time doing it. I watch a lot of movies. I go out a lot. I, I, I've sort of bypassed my video game sort of lifestyle, but I will be... because of this game and because of uncharted 4 i will always be the first in line to get a naughty dog game because of how much thought and emotion alley goes into each one i i support them always i think that they're my they're my favorite uh game developers they've always been i love them i love everything they do and i will always be first in line to get whatever game they're putting out there because it will be incredible one way or another i guarantee it all right, that's all the time we have. If you would like to give your thoughts on the show or make suggestions for the movie of the week, you can email us at theboxofficeshow at gmail.com. Our main title theme for the show is Sundown by Joseph McDade. Be sure to tune in next week where we'll have a special episode dedicated to the Fast and Furious franchise where we will have a couple of guests to come on and we're going to try and convince Ryan which movie's the best one. Exactly, because I have not seen any Fast and Furious movies and so they will try to convince me. They'll pick one of the movies out of the franchise and try to convince me to watch their movie. Mm-hmm. So that should be a fun little episode. Ooh. And like you said, we'll have two guests on for that one. Uh, but we want to thank our guest for this episode. It was great having you on again, Sean Tormey. Thank you so Ooh. much. Thank, thank you so you much guys. for taking 
three whopping hours out of I your know. day to talk <laughs> What do you with mean? Us. I took hours out my week for this podcast. Oh, you're right. Podcast. Yeah. Thank you for spending <laughs> it was great. Uh, around 20 hours working on this. Thank you so much. We appreciate oh, yeah. everything you do. If you I guys want to hear more of Sean, you can listen to our last episode about In the Heights, or you can go to Sean's own podcast. Sean, tell us a little bit about that before we go. Uh, yeah, Average Films for Average Joes. Again, like I said in the last one, we're on like a small break just because all doing different things and different locations, mm-hmm. i.e. different states. But again, maybe I can bring this up with them, how we record this one, mm-hmm. and maybe we can try something. But also, I'll see them again soon, so we'll see what happens with that. But yeah, Average Films for Average Joes, we're also a film podcast. We just talk about movies, other stuff like that, film industry, uh, certain genres, the Oscars, all that hoopla. So mm-hmm. yeah. So if you want to hear more film stuff and you like Sean's voice, go check that out. It's on Spotify. <laughs> you can hear him and all of his friends talk about it. He has a couple great episodes up there, so go check that out. Have a great rest of your day. Oh, yeah. Have a great rest of your day, y'all. Love. Good boy. <laughs> Good boy.